the Protect Your Neck Podcast. UFC 290 breakdown with special guest Liam Picks fights, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. What's up, everybody? Dan Tom here with the Protect Your Neck podcast, host of this year's show. Of course, you might see me doing analyst work over at MMA Junkie or the Action Network, who I have a teammate on with me this week. Of course, it is a pay-per-view week. UFC 290, we're back. We took last week off. Uh, don't fret. Uh, hopefully, we're getting better quality. A, a lot have, have been busy, uh, keeping me busy, so I apologize in advance. I will save the excuses, and hopefully, what I've been busy with will come through in this show. And I've got a great guest who has come through for me, man, uh, many times. Just being a good dude, whether, uh, you know, personally or through the community, he puts out his own content. He is my man, Liam, at Liam Fights, uh, Picks Fights, I should say. Sorry. You can find his work over at Roto Grinders, of course, Action Network, and other places. This guy's, like, everywhere. Liam, what's up, man? Hey, what's going on, brother? Uh, I'm excited to talk fights. We got a good pay-per-view card. You know, sometimes I give the UFC a little bit of grief because we're here every week for the cards that are good, for the cards that aren't so good uh, more often than not. And so, you know, when we get rewarded by sticking around for a fight card like this, that's where it kind of pays dividends. And we got a lot of big favorites, obviously, but still, we got a lot of premier talents in the MMA world being showcased. This is why the UFC has the position they have. They got a lot of premier world-class talent, and it's going to be on display on Saturday night. Absolutely, and not to you know jump ahead too fast, but there are going to be a lot of wide lines, which is good that we have you know kind of two talking heads here who both uh, get in deep into the lines. We're not just talking about you know you know uh, money lines and face value. We like to dive deep into things, and a, a reason why I like Liam here, and, and I know I've talked about this before, um, both with him in the presence of being on podcast and without on this here show. Uh, I've, I've said these same kind words, so I'm keeping that same energy. But a reason, uh, one of the reasons uh, many that I like Liam is because he actually uh, does this stuff. He is a a wrestler, a jujitsu guy, uh, and, and not just an MMA connoisseur, right? This guy's getting on the mats and uh, kind of having that dynamic. And you got to find your edge or your edges, hopefully, if if that is you know uh, in play or of your perspective for gambling, uh, as they say. And I do believe I'm not trying to be pretentious about it. You know, we're better than you. We should no. That's not. That's not it. But I do believe, for what it's worth, Liam, you can jump in here. I do think the training does give you a bit of an edge as, as far as you know your analysis goes. What What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it shows in the results, right? I track my results um, via betmma.tips, and one of the things that's been an asset for me is just looking back at my stats over time, because they're things that you wouldn't necessarily think of, but they show in your work when you have, I have over a thousand bet sample size, and so when you look back at some of the bets, I have an insane ROI on big underdogs and submission props. And the reason being, I don't think is an accident. It's because I spent a lot of time trying to go for submissions, and I've also always adapted my wrestling game to be submission-oriented because I'm a huge MMA fan. I've been watching MMA since as long as I've been wrestling. I asked my parents if I could fight. They said no, but I could go wrestle. That's something you could do at school. So for me, that was the inroads to, you know, 
martial arts. And so my uh, coach used to joke, I have a better style for folk style and uh, free, or excuse me, for freestyle than folk style and for Greco than everything else. And Greco has been one of those things that translates often at the UFC level, especially early on. But now we're seeing folk style wrestlers dominate. And I think that I have a little bit of perspective from a guy that's been in the American scene. I've wrestled international guys. I've wrestled uh, guys from different states and different styles. And I kind of have a bit of that feel. But I've also been with, with Henzo Gracie guys getting my ass tapped all the time doing world-class jiu-jitsu. I've trained at Strong Style MMA in Ohio. So I've seen what world-class training looks like and I've been around it. And I know, uh, you know what some of what I'm looking at is. It's the most fascinating sport in the world. Striking still is something I learn about every time that there's a new UFC. That's what brings me to the table, but the grappling is where I feel like I have my edge. So everybody's got to find their edge somewhere. And I think for some people with a striking background, that's why they have a better edge capping certain fights. Whereas me, I look to target. I know this guy's got a wrestling or grappling edge and I exploit that. Um, so I do a lot of gambling theory and a lot of things that try and give me an additional edge. But for me, my bread and butter is wrestling and grappling is something I really know well. Uh, and you can't fool me just because I'm seeing it in the octagon. My man, my man. Very, very, very well said. And I, I, I sentiment with a lot of that. You know, even though I came from the striking side, I gravitated more toward the grappling. Uh, that's where most of my relevant coaching experience is, is in. And yeah, submission props and round props, which I think are more just a product of my analysis and, and certain processes. Uh, again, it's going to be different for everybody, folks. Like Liam said, you got to find your edge. That's kind of a slogan, I think, from like the yoga place I go to. That used to be their slogan, find your edge. So I feel weird saying that. But hey, it works for the gambling parlance, does it not? So we're going to do our best to find our collective edges. Hopefully, you can take our analysis. Again, uh, I know Liam's the same way, man. We show our work, but but at the same time, we, as we put that effort, we're not putting a gun to your head to say, hey, follow us off the cliff. We're always right. We're never on that. that. That is not our energy. We're not trying to say, but we will try to give you our best analysis. So hopefully, you could take that, add that to the other analysis you're picking up from other fine people in this space, and uh, maybe get yourself a winning weekend. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, real quick, speaking of winning weekend, I actually had like a second winning night in a row, which like doesn't happen in 2023 for me, Liam. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure you're doing uh, doing well every time I look over uh, over there. I know again we're, we're not all winners. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to false gas you like that, but trying to give you your due daps as well as say that I've not been doing good, right? But we've been slowly turning the ship. I've I've had my head down, as they say. I've been I've been uh been 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 getting to work over here and uh it was a small win at ufc jacksonville two weeks ago where i left off with you guys uh, it was only like 1.28 units and it would it could have been an eight unit like almost like a a, a one grand swing if uh emmett got the ko of course that was not gonna happen and i was actually someone who, who thought maybe they could have uh, uh stopped that just by taking a flyer on emmett of course i'm a big Taporia fan was really impressed with him uh been impressed with him for a while so it feels weird that like i not jumped off the train. I just, from a gambling perspective, took a took a value shot um, on the dude's coming out party. Where now everybody, even his haters, are like, you know what, this guy's good. Um, I, I don't expect you to beat a dead horse on a two week card ago, Liam. But anything from that matchup or this card before I push on uh, and, and get us up up to date uh, here. 
Sure. Uh, I'm actually on a, a rare uh, three-week run for myself this year. I feel nice. like this year has been a little bit tricky, and I've been keeping smaller slates and also been focusing on making my outlays very small, uh, trying to mitigate limit risk this year. That's been my goal, trying to get the highest ROI with the least amount of risk exposure. Um, it's, a, it's a strategy pivot for me this year. I was on a great run last year, but I also had a lot of volatile results. I had some reverse sweeps that hurt, you know, 20 units at a time. This kind of thing and it's an emotional process gambling so how do you limit some of the emotion limit some of the exposure I've been going with underdogs taking smaller exposure and hoping for the best and so uh, at UFC Jacksonville my betting results were Macy Barber uh, Wellington Termon and Joshua Van I took three underdog shots and two of them ended up coming through that pays for your night right there that's my strategy. That's my style of betting. You will not see me laying minus 500s very often. You will not see me, uh, you know, trying to get cute uh, oftentimes with parlays because I know how hard it is to pick one fight. So for yeah. me, that's just my style of betting. I try and find a couple dogs that I think are mispriced, and sometimes you're going to look like a fool. And if you're not willing to do that, especially in the content creation space, it's going to be harder. But for me, that's yeah. I'm willing to look like a fool, take a big risk, and that's what I do each and every week and hope for the best. Absolutely, and I don't want to like overdo the you know that it takes balls to make a pick because at the same it, 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 at, at the same token it is kind of silly what we do at the same time to to take the piss out of it and not take it so serious. But you're right, um, like you know as somebody who's picked against Amanda Nunes or John Jones this year, right? Two fighters that you shouldn't and I haven't in my defense made a habit of picking it. But again, sometimes you come across that value shot. And even if I were to pick it, I'm not you know the victory lap type, and people would still probably be hating at me like saying, oh you just did that on purpose, but you know, it's easy to your point, Liam, to just, you know, oh, pick John Jones and then be after the fact and be like, oh, this guy won. Or, the, the, yeah, of course you pick the goat and you wait until after the fact. To Liam's point, we're in content creation, so we're having to be public, account publicly, say it pre-flop before the fact, which there is a difference. And I love, Liam, what you said there because you were doing good, but you also stopped to pick up the volatility. And that's something I always say is be a good winner. It's understandable to be a good loser. It's an emotional process. But I see so many people that, that I, I, I feel I, I feel for the winners. I don't like to kick people where they're down. That's kind of the, the energy seems to be a lot of the times. But I do express caution to people winning, not realizing how volatile of a game it is. And what you just said, it was really big, it rings really big in my heart, Liam, because uh, I think we need more of that in this space. And if you want to, whether it's be serious, air quotes, as far as your recreational gambling, or God help you, you want to be a serious gambler, you have to be... Um, be able to, to, to call yourself out and be objective and realize that even when you're winning, you still have to be able to look at what you uh, what you can correct and the volatility, you know. Um, we see huge swings, 10, 20 unit swings. Like we've all been there at one point and you learn your lessons from that. Uh, for example, the barber hit that you had, that was some something with me too. You know, I, I you know whether I'm being tongue, tongue in cheap and, and saying, you know, screw you to the haters complaining or I'm being self-admitted and self-deprecating as I am and being like, I'm complaining. The fact is I can either complain about being on the wrong end of bad beats and bad decisions like the Torres and Dern or the Barber and Maverick, right? Uh, like notorious bad beats. And and again, I have a running challenge. Just type in the bad beat to the chat, whether it's an injury or decision, and I guarantee I was on the wrong side of it. I can either play that violin or be like, you know what? Barber is actually making improvements even though I'm not a fan of her style. She's burned me before. You have to forget about all that. It is about the matchup. You have to wipe the slate clean. You have to learn from your mistakes. And I did that. And again, I've been keeping my head down, not getting not getting pats on the back for it. Don't need it. It's fine. Because again, the results are being tracked just like my guy Liam here. 
And uh, that Barber hit really saved my butt too. That was a huge hit for me. It was also my biggest bet of the night. So it's nice when mm -hmm. you get the big ones to come across yep. for you. But again, keep in mind, my biggest bet of the night was 0.75 units. So every time that I took the shot, it was small shots, but I got one unit of profit, 56% ROI. We'll take that. And by the way, I didn't mention, I lost on Dumas by sub on my quarter unit shot there. And oh. he had every position you could possibly ask for to submit somebody, and he didn't quite get it. So these are the things where you talk about my style of betting. Sometimes I'm going to have 0-4 nights where the bets look okay and they don't come through for me. When you're betting plus 850s, like Yanni the Greek says, if you're not willing to rip up a certain number of those tickets, you're just not going to win because eventually you will stop betting them. For me, I know going in, I'm not going to win all these. But when people are patting right. me on the back and say, oh, great job, then it, it's not going to feel crazy. Never right. let your highs get you too high. Never let your lows get you too low. You're not as good as your best bet and you're not as bad as your worst bet. I, I won last week, right? I also bet Kevin Lee. Am I a genius right. or not? Yeah, like right, I, yeah. I, clearly, there's some parts where I'm taking a risk. It's going to either work out sometimes or it's not, but that's plus money for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, before the two uh, before this, the two event win, win streak, I dare say, I hate even saying that, but hey, you got to take it where you can get it when you're as bad as me this year. Before that, the two uh, uh, fight losing streak before it, it was probably a longer, but uh, just, just to put in perspective, the two events before that, Liam, I went five and one in main card picks, literally picking the method and rounds of like four out of five of the fights, and I still had a losing night. And people were like, oh, you're trying to make yourself feel better. No, I'm not trying to say that to make myself feel better. I'm pointing out that that's how volatile this game is. And to keep that same energy, my two winning nights, you know what my picks were? I think maybe I got one fight right on the entire main card on both those. But you know what? I had winning nights overall. That's So that's what I mean. I'm not trying to be a hater and rain on someone's parade who's winning. I'm not trying to make an excuse for me losing. It's You can keep the same energy no matter the perspective if you realize how volatile this fucking game is. Um, and to your point, I had Gabriel. And I'm not, we're not trying to be the guy like, oh, I was on the right side. If not, We're definitely not saying that. But yeah, to your point, like I was on Santos by submission, and I lost that bet. He got knocked out. But... I'm not mad at Santos, man. He had every position. He was going for it. He was going, you know, he followed the analysis. It's like, that's all you can ask for. The results are the, the results are, are beyond us in this game. 100%, man. And for me, I also think it's about giving yourself multiple outs. Uh, that's another thing I've learned, mm -hmm. right? Uh, think yeah. back to three weeks ago. The only bet I had on the card was Dan Argetta early in the night. Goes out there, does everything you oh. could possibly ask of a fighter, gets every position, but you don't end up cashing the bet, and then all the week of research goes down the drain on one exposure. So for me, I also don't force a bet if it's not there, sure. if I don't feel it, but it's it's about trying to find your opportunities and give yourself as many outs as you can with the spots that are there. So, uh, you know, it's, it's gonna be a game that goes up and down for you. Ride the waves. <laughs> Absolutely, and uh, just to speed up the recap since I didn't watch it, I'll just say that uh, Joshua Van, I didn't watch that fight, but he was on my prospects list, which continues to age very well that I put out in the beginning of this year. By the way, folks, if you go look at that, fighters from all around the world, Chepe Mariscal, um, didn't play him, so I'm not trying to bump my chest, but uh, I love seeing guys who uh, kind of grinded out on the regional scene finally get their due. So that's, that's all I want to say on that card before moving on. Uh, next card, I didn't play anything on uh, on Strickland uh, Abus, and it's probably a good thing because it feels like, and again, I'm not trying to say it to make people feel bad or make me feel better, but it feels like everybody collectively got washed on this. Um, I made, uh, the only unofficial plays I made were the ones that I, I, I tweeted and teased, which was Blagoy, uh, Blagoy round three, uh, two and three. 
Uh, so it was 0.17 U sprinkles, unofficially untracked, um, which I said beforehand, I didn't do the untracked winning, untracked losing. I said it all pre-flop, and if I was playing my untracked, I actually would be up this year, so can't even pull that card on me. But I will say, yeah, uh, what was it? So 1.34 units down on Blagoy. However, I did end up, because it was a stupid money line, it just felt like you know the money line for Sean Strickland minus 150 uh, was just right there staring me in the face, so I put 1.5 just to win a unit. So technically, I still ended up under you know a third of a a third of a unit loss, 0.34 units minus untracked. But again, if we're doing the untracked thing, would have won. Uh, I didn't really watch too much of this man, um, you know. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I would have gotten washed. I probably would have took a shot on Kevin Lee with you, Liam. Uh, I probably would have been on Demir Uzmagulov, so I probably would have ate shit there. Um, I would have been on Israel Bonfim, so I probably would have ate it there. Um, and yeah, that, that's about it. Uh, anything to say on that card, Liam? Yeah, I was actually really happy with my results last week, uh, to nice. tell you the truth. And nice. I, uh, I bet three, three bets and, uh, it was Benoit Saint Denis plus 250, uh, nice. Nurse Rusi Boev, uh, plus 190. And then I bet Kevin Lee, right? And the Kevin Lee bet, uh, is kind of, it reminds me of, uh, Gavin Tucker against Dan Ige. If you're going to break my heart, <laughs> yeah. do it in the first minute and let's get it over yeah. with, right? So that was kind of what it was like. You know, I felt like from 10 seconds into the fight, I knew it was over, unfortunately. Uh, it just looked like one guy was way faster and more mobile. And I was like, that's not going to end well for us, is it? And Kevin was like very plotting one twos that just looked so easy to time. Uh, so not good. Um, not good, pal. That was my biggest bet. But the other thing was I... That was 0.75 units, right? I've kind of been capping myself at one unit um, on like a Felipe Lins plus 140 early in the week when I think it's going to close pick em price. Like those right. are the kind of bets where I go bigger. But normally I'm playing bets late in the week. I try and wait for underdog prices to peak. And for a Nurselton Ruzibo, if he opens a minus 110 or so, right? And then the public comes in heavy on Bruno Ferreira, who last time they were certain is plus 250 against uh, Robocop. So he gets the win over RoboCop. But I have seen that RoboCop fight play out before where RoboCop wins it, right? He goes Jun Young Park, him and Jun Young Park, just bang, bang, bang. They're both going one for one for one. And then eventually one guy falls over, right? And the same thing happened to him against Bruno Ferreira. Bruno Ferreira was eating uh, like five strikes a minute in that fight. So it was just two guys going hammer on hammer and one guy fell over. Nursultan Ruzibov is like one of the biggest guys I've ever seen at uh, 170. And he was at 85 in this fight. So I felt yeah. like he was going to be sized okay. And he's an awkward guy. He had 50 pro fights. So like, you you know you know as well as I do, you could be fighting bus drivers. You right. fight him 50 times, you're going to get better. Like I, yeah. I just yeah. thought that that was a misprice, whether he won or lost. And he went out there and blasted him. So that was vindication. A lot of people were saying in my comment section, you know how it gets. When you pick a dog... You gotta expect that people who have the parlay already are coming in to the comments like, bro, your guy's getting folded, this is never gonna happen. And it just goes to show size, youth, some sometimes just intangible advantages. Forget what you know about what you saw because this is still a crazy game. Yes. And it's plus money in 185. For Benoit St. Denis, he was a bigger dog against Ismael Bonfim than Elize Zaleski Dos Santos. It's all about long-term perspective. Yeah. Like, yeah. I would make Elysia a significant favorite against Bonfim. So what are you telling me? What are you right. telling me? He's gotten worse at a, at a new weight class where he's bigger? Come on, man. So these are the things where I'm willing to be wrong, and it paid off that time. So hoping to keep the momentum going. I feel like the dogs have been going crazy these last couple of weeks. May get a little bit of regression to the mean here on the pay-per-view. But I, th I think that if you pick your spots here, maybe you find the one or two that break through. 
Yeah, absolutely, man. And size was also a factor in the uh, bomb theme uh, Benoit Saint-Denis. And I know I kind of poo-poo that a lot in my analysis, but that's also because if you look at what I'm targeting, what I have st I'm studying, what I like to study, and what I ultimately only have time and am paid to study these days, it's usually more, uh, more of the proven products. I know the main card, they'll throw unproven stuff on there all the time these days so it's not it's not that I don't come across that but as far as what I like to target um, I like to target because I, I just like info, more information but especially because the UFC is booking more of these types of matchups whether it's short notice lowest bidder type of matchups um, randoms where are they a good guy who's fought 50 times regardless of whether it's a can like Liam saying or is it like that uh, who is that other guy Morozov or whatever not Morozov um the guy with the fake record. Askar Mozarov. Yeah, Mozarov. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is it one of those fake records? Because that guy, you know, obviously had a fake record. Whereas if you're fighting cans, like Liam said, if you're fighting a lot, you know, the, these intangibles, age, uh, length, size, they actually come in much more of a play in the analysis uh, in these more wild card fights, to Liam's point there. Um, Mark Fellow's in the house. Uh, he says, Dan the man, welcome to the UFC Anzacs. Parlay the Aussies. Surefire win. You know, I was thinking about that, <laughs> Mark. Uh, I know we were just talking about parlays. Uh, me and Liam both have a similar attitude about it. Um, you could count the parlays that I've given out and played on this year. And I think you might have four, maybe all five remaining. I don't know if I've played one, in other words, Liam, officially. Um, even unofficially, because I don't. everything I play is is pretty much uh, on the record. If it doesn't, I say w what it is, you know, or show the slip. But yeah, I'm not a parlay guy. I'm trying to think right now. I'm like, I can't think of parlays that I've played. But the, the wide lines, we're getting to the we're getting to the fight card, folks. So for those of you uh, having a torture uh, with us through here live, you can't just fast forward. We're getting to it. A lot of wide lines. Definitely going to be tempted on the parlays. But before we get to the card, we got a question in the chat. My man, Synchro Wayne, question for Liam. He says, do you consider the people who coaches fighters when making analysis, specifically BJJ coaches, example, Craig Jones training Volk and Josh Hinger training Wei Lee. I certainly think it's a fact of the fighter. You know, if they're not very coachable, doesn't matter who their coach is, right? Uh, I think that sometimes that's a factor that can be overblown, but definitely your training environment matters. Are you working with pros? Are you working with people that really train? Are you working with people that are UFC level? Because if you're not, you know, it's going to be a whole different story when you get there on the night. I think to myself, uh, part of my development process in wrestling was getting around better wrestlers because I had gotten good in my room, which was good. But then when you're the best guy in the room, you can't get that much better. It's a, it's a lot harder. You need to be pushed. Uh, as Chael Sonnen says, you need guys that you can whip, guys that whip you, and guys that make you really compete. And if you don't have all three, it's hard to get better. I think that uh, that's really what you need to see in somebody's training camp. Do they have like a Marcelo Rojo, like Brandon Moreno, that he can whip on a little bit and kind of get some rounds in against a guy that he's a little bit better than but is a little bit bigger than him? That's what you need, but he also gets into Mikey Musumeci, the world-class <laughs> grappling, things like that. So I feel like these are the pieces of the pie where you want to see multiple check boxes along the way, um, and, and that's what you want to see from an elite fighter. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that was a great answer there. Uh, people giving you love in the chat, of course. Love seeing the positivity there. Marcus Mustard, congrats on that hit. And Kyle Smith, you're right. I do say drinking game here probably with a lot of the things that uh, that I repeat. Um, that one is a little bit with purpose because, uh, A, it annoys people, and then, B, uh, just not enough people do do, do that. So, you know, I'm going to pay tribute to, to my guy Usman there who uh, who, uh, who who, who kind of re-energized uh, re that saying in the space. Love it, love it, guys. All right, let's get to the party here. We're going to be breaking down UFC 290. 
roughly 23 minutes in. We're going to go from top to bottom as per usual. We're going to recap our picks and plays as per usual. I will be, full disclosure, on the fights I was able to run through the full comb and the ones that I was not. Luckily, though, for you guys, got help here, got good help, got a good dude here uh, to help uh, uh, carry the uh, proverbial uh, load phrasing. Uh, and we get to UFC 290 here off the top. Let's go. All right, of course, it is headlined by two title fights, the first of which being... Uh, a unification fight? Question mark? Air quotes. Uh, it's a beautiful belt that Yair Rodriguez has, by the way, and that are I think it's, it's a fantastic belt. But he's the interim champion, uh, challenging the reigning undisputed champion Alexander Volkanovski, who opened it as a five to one favorite. Um, but despite me being high on Volkanovski, of course, uh, for some time, uh, waving the pound for pound flag, even I'm like, well, like, can we bring this line down to earth a bit? Uh, money seems to be coming in a little bit, trickling in. I mean, why not? Again, it's it's a value shot. Even if uh, you're not picking Volkanovski or you're not, you know, a, a hater of his, I don't blame anybody for taking that plus 300, which is what you're kind of seeing average across the board for uh, Rodriguez. Volkanovski minus 400. My breakdown's dropped, and it's posted already. Um, so people know where I ended up here. Uh, Liam, what what is the dynamic you're seeing here? I'm I'm more curious to where you ended up. Man, this one's really hard for me because uh, one of the things I always like to acknowledge is our own bias that we have as betters because we have prior experiences with these fighters, and that will color in some way how we look at them moving forward. That's why recency bias exists in betting markets, right? You just got burnt by somebody. They didn't perform how you thought they would. Now they suck. Now I can never bet them again, right? Things like this. But there's another bias that people don't talk about as much, which is Yair Rodriguez made me a lot of money when he fought um, – what's his name? Um, uh, geez, Luis, Brian Ortega. When he yeah. got Brian Ortega, he made me a lot of coins, right? I bet him as an underdog there, and he cashed out early, right? So that, in my mind, I love Yair Rodriguez. Also, he gave me a good run. I bet him against Max Holloway. I was at the casino with my friends. I'm having a good night at the window. I said to myself, you know what? Plus 600, plus 700, whatever it was on Yair Rodriguez. I'm like, that's too wide. And he went out there, and he didn't win. But he made it an honest scrap. You know, he hit Max Holloway with hammers to the head. And Max Holloway is one of the most durable featherweights in the history of the sport. What we know about Max Holloway is he's a great fighter. But he had a difficult time getting through to Volk because Volk's the ultimate tactician. He's the pound-for-pound pound number one. I said it before Usman lost, right? We've both been on this train for a long time. Looking at his work, he can feint. He can wrestle. He can go in the clinch. He can go on the cage. He can go from underneath. He can go on top. He's great everywhere. He's an excellent fighter. And he's not built optimally necessarily for fighting in terms of his height and certain things but he makes it all work he found a game that he could play perfectly for his body type all these things are, are huge accolades but there's another thing that i always talk about which is how can i separate myself from the matchup to give myself an advantage at the betting window and i'm talking in this case about elite featherweight matchups it's very hard to cover minus 400 in elite featherweight matchups, period. We've seen this in the past with it would win a split decision over Josh Emmett, but I said in the same article the betting values on Josh Emmett plus 200 because it's plus 200 in an elite featherweight contest, and it's going to be close. It's going to be within tight margins. Both guys have paths to a finish. Both guys have paths to a decision. And when I look at this fight, I see something similar because the truth is Alexander Volkanovsky is an elite fighter. He could mitigate risk here by taking Yair Rodriguez to the ground continuously. But is that how he normally fights? No, it is not. He is a 
a guy with a lot of bravado. He's a guy who's very macho. He's a guy who goes out there and while fighting technically and smart, he also engages like a ultimate competitor. He wants to win every round, every minute, and every exchange. And when you've seen him in the past get hit with big shots and get hurt, he gets right back in somebody's face, storms back on them, throws big shots. He does not back down at all. And he does not think to himself, I have to wrestle here. I have to do self-preservation. He thinks, I'm going to hit you back. I'm going to make you pay for that. Whether it's a submission attempt from Brian Ortega or Chad Mendez sitting him to his butt, he gets up with the intent to kill. And he is trying to hurt you with big shots. So I think that in this fight, Yair Rodriguez shows a lot of... Uh, poise under pressure in his later fights right when we saw Frankie Edgar back in the day takes him down he's like what's happening right now he had all the confidence all the momentum and he got bum rushed there he got barnstormed he never saw it coming in this fight he knows exactly what he's dealing with he's a mature guy he's been around the sport for a long time he's dealt with a lot of the best fighters and I don't think that it's comfortable laying minus 400 or minus 500 at open with any fighter against Yair Rodriguez, period, point blank, he's too dynamic. He's too unpredictable. He's too difficult to pretend, uh, you know, like there's a clear, easy way to get through this guy. He can throw knees, kicks, elbows. He is dangerous till the very end of the fight. We saw that against the Korean zombie where he was getting beat up early in that fight and he stayed in the fight. I feel like he does not get any credit for the fact that he was coming back on the scorecards there and then lands maybe the greatest knockout in UFC history with that dipping elbow. He's landed other insane knockouts like the jumping head kick of Andre Feely back in the day. He was, frankly one or two strikes away from finishing Josh Emmett in his last fight. So again, it's, which by the way, Ilya Teporia, everybody wants to celebrate him. I do too. What happened when he was out there with him? He goes to full five rounds. He he beats him up for a really long time, never lands one shot that puts him away. Yair Rodriguez had this guy seeing God several times. When he hit him with that liver kick, Josh Emmett is literally having a conversation with the Lord himself. Like it was, it was in his eyes like, I need to wrestle right now or I will be dead. So he is just reaching out, grabbing, and he made Josh Emmett look like a horrific grappler. Ilya Teporia... I feel like could have had more success if he took it there, but he opted to stand on the feet and have a little bit of bravado. He reminds me of Volkanovski, competitive in every phase, wants to get in there, can go in every phase, but he ultimately will go man for man, standing up on the feet more often than not, and he will also be willing to engage in dangerous positions for himself because he's confident in his ability to get out. But he is now 34 Oh, going on 35 years of age, he is cutting back to 45 after going at 55 where your body doesn't want to balloon in weight all the time, right? So I think that's one of my concerns here. I think he has huge motivation here, which is I want my champions that I'm fading to not have motivation. He has motivation. He wants to go back up and get the shot at 155. He wants to come back and prove he's still the best guy at 145. Get the belt off this other guy who's walking around with one. Of course, all those motivation spots will be there. But he is a guy who's looking at 55. He does feel like a guy who will leave this weight class, win, lose, or draw after this fight. So those are the kind of things that make me think, huh, a guy who used to be 200-plus pounds, who now gets the chance to move back up to 155, and he's got to fight the most dangerous, dynamic guy, I feel like, in the weight class, period. So I don't think that Yair Rodriguez should be favored here. I don't think it should be a close line. But I also think the idea of laying a minus 400 against a guy like Yair is never going to get me up out of bed, period. So uh, it's Yair pass for me and uh, haven't played the fight. But um, especially when I saw plus 350, I debated driving to New Jersey to play it. Um, the line moved before I could do so. So now it's around a plus 310, plus 300. 
I'm curious. I'm going to wait and see. Uh, look at how many big favorites there are on this card, right? I think there's going to be a lot of parlay volume that comes in. So we could get better numbers on Yair Rodriguez, but I think that there will be sharp play on Yair, frankly. I, I think that there will be some people that come in with big money and hit that plus number because they're going to look and see a guy with this kind of dynamic offense, big punching power on the feet, as well as the ability to put you out with knees, kicks, elbows, and everything else, who's shown that when he's losing a fight, he could still knock you out. That's a really tough guy to beat. So uh, I think Volkanovski, if there's anybody that's going to do it right now at 145, you'd call on a Volkanovski. You'd call on an Ilya Taporia. Somebody that could take him down, mix it up in different phases, have a lot of confidence, have a lot of bravado, have a lot of toughness. That's what you're going to need to beat Yair. But you're going to have to really give it to him. And he's not a guy who quits on himself. Even though Frankie Edgar, that was like a mercy stoppage because he was overwhelmed. But I don't think that he wanted out there. I think he wants in in every fight. I think he wants to get one back on you. Uh, he's a guy who's a very emotional fighter. And uh, I think that could serve to his benefit here. Uh, it's going to be a big event. It's going to be a lot of people yelling, screaming, cheering. And uh, I think they're going to be screaming for Yair Rodriguez. So it's going to be a fun fight, man. Yeah, it already seems uh, very pro-Mexico from uh, the Pantoja Moreno, which we'll get to in a second. But uh, yeah, a, a lot of good notes there and stuff. I agree with the Josh Emmett fight. That was another one where, again, you know, uh, I, I've been a guy who fades Yair Rodriguez, who, you know, is like, this guy's only striking from one side, which when he was at a certain point, he's corrected that, and I've given him his due daps. And uh, it was just one of those ones where the read was, was just right there. And again, you got to be able to drop any of your biases or, or uh, that you have and uh yeah I, I i i called for the liver kick uh i was hoping he was going to get the ko would have made have been a huge night uh, of course that ended up being the submission win um which was good too because you know i i feel like that uh you know even though i believe that yair has made improvements and i'll be curious to see how much because outside of izzy martinez who i don't even see that much and he's more of a wrestling uh, guy uh, is a wrestling guy i should say I don't know how much he's been doing his with his jujitsu, and I feel like at least early on, um, I'm not going to talk about as of late. Even with I'm not even going to pile on with the Ortega thing and and that because he was putting he was throwing up a, a legitimate submission for what's that that's worth. But his early on analysis, I feel like people overinflated his game early on when he was just going for things that weren't even submissions and he was on his back, you know, um, against Boston Strong Rosa. Oh, we got the dog coming over here, brownies. The dog live browns. Huh? Is the dog live? Coming over. But yeah, uh, I, I actually uh, do like Volkanovsky here. It's funny. I, I, um, I, I, I've seen him and heard him described you know, different ways. And I don't think any of them are necessarily wrong. It's just what stage is he in, you know? Because when he first came in, he was more of like, oh, is this guy's going to be like Macedonian Khabib. Because he did have that take you down, grind you out. It was like a honey badger-like style. We saw it come out in the Ortega fight, right? But to your point, he didn't go back to that, even though he arguably stopped, should have gotten a stop, and definitely should have got a stop between rounds after round three, you know? Um, so it's, it's weird. It's like, uh, oh, you know, is Volkanovski more risk-averse and he likes to play on the outside now? Or is it the fact that he was going against Max Holloway, um, the fact that he should have gotten up to three different stoppages, arguably four different stoppages in the Ortega fight between the ring doctor, corner, referee, and the action itself. Um, so, you know, it, it makes it tricky as far as, you know, how that goes. And then, again, Yair Rodriguez is not a guy who's going to be easily, you know, say what you will about his jiu-jitsu. I don't think he's a guy who's easily submitted. He's so athletic. He's such a, you know, an athletic scrambler as well. Um, and, you know, uh, the TKO, you know, it was more of the eye and doctor stop, which I, I don't disagree with, by the way. But to your point, Liam, yeah, like, he, 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 he didn't go out. He... 
probably didn't want to stop. You know, he's one of those guys like that. So it's all lined up there. But I do think we are going to see the UFC 211 recreation. Um, I, I do think that even if Volkanovski uh, isn't his plan plan uh, A as much as it should be, I think he'll be forced there. Because just the range itself, part of the reason, even though Volkanovski's not as much of a wrestle boxer, he doesn't have the heavy dip to the power side like Emmett has. Um, he's still susceptible to the southpaw body kicks and head kicks. My guy Ghost Phantom, who I'll share his comment earlier, pointed that out on Twitter as well as in the chat. What's up, Ghost? Uh, one of the uh, admins there, my, 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 my guy Jimmy Kudo. But he says, Southpaw left body kicks. I love Volkanovski, but he had trouble with that in the Islam, Islam fight. Correct. He had a good team, so who knows. Yeah, he brought in Carl Van Roon, who came on my radar from helping Israel Adesanya. Traditional martial arts guy, specifically Taekwondo, which is the same art that Yair comes from. So these are all good things. I hope it's just Volk trash talk where he's throwing the spitting kick and talking about Taekwondo Volk. I'm hoping it's just he brought those guys in just so he has those looks, right? Um, but ultimately, we'll see. Uh, I agree with Liam that... I wouldn't want to touch Volk at this price. I think that whether it's sharp money going to come in and wait for a good price on Yair, uh, if you want to you know, characterize it as that, or to be honest, it doesn't matter what kind of money you have or your feels. If you're on Volkanovski and you did do the parlay, you took the bait, the line is so good, especially Yair by KO, that you, you, you should be incorporating some hedges out of principle, I think, if you are invested in the Volkanovski side. I don't think you're wrong. I think he's the rightful favorite. I'm picking him. I'm picking him by actually a third to fourth round stoppage. And what I did play was I did my, um, I did, instead of .17U, I did .33, a little Scotty Pippen action. You know me, I gotta be, gotta be weird with my numbers. Even when I hit microwave on the, I don't do a minute, I don't do 30 seconds. It's always like 32 seconds. It's always like a minute four. So I went .33 units on round three, four, and five. Um, at, at odds of, I think, what, it's like plus, I, my, my, my computer's a little slow. It's like plus 800 to 1,000, depending on round three. Um, plus 1,000 to 1,200, depending on what you're looking at for round two. Uh, plus 1,400 around the neighborhood for round five, uh, or sorry, for round four, uh, for round five. Um, basically, yeah, you can find as high as 20, 20 to one on round five. Yeah, um, yeah, I get, I get crappy numbers, so I, I, I will always post and cite crappy numbers because that's what I get. But yeah, to Liam's point, you can find better numbers out there if you shop around. And basically, even at my crappy numbers, the way it works out is if he finishes in round three, uh, get uh, roughly uh, uh, about two units back, uh, finishes round four, almost about three units back, round five, about four units back. In total, I'm only risking just under a unit. .33 times three. It is literally just under a unit. It's literally .99, right? Um, But at the same time, if you are going to play chalk, it's not sexy, I agree with Liam, but if you are... That's the way I feel like I'm going to do it. I'm going to put the analysis together with some big effing numbers and put some small sprinkles that I won't really notice or be too hurt um, if I win or lose on those. I may put Volkanovski by KO or one of those rounds or something, depending on what the price is. I may put that in a round robin because I'm I'm reaching for bets on this card, uh, which is why I'm like, I, the, I hate the wide lines because it's tempting me to just like lay chalk or, or, or parlay, which I don't like to do. I'm more like on Liam's speed. But yeah, those are my only plays here. Um, I don't blame anybody, though, for playing Rodriguez. I don't blame anybody for incorporating hedges. I'm just going to keep it uh, uh, just under a unit exposure for this fight because I, I don't want any more, and, and I'll be I'll be happy either way. It seems like BetUS is hanging a, uh, 
a under where they're not favoring this fight to go under four and a half rounds. It looks like they're the last sports book, uh, you know, to hold the over as the favorite here. So I feel like uh, this fight, uh, that's the one thing we could probably agree on here for sure, um, which is that you think Volkanovski is probably going to finish in rounds three, four, or five. I don't think this fight's going to see the scorecards personally. Uh, I know a lot of sharp minds that do. You know, it's elite featherweights. Both guys are really tough. Um, I think Yair is insanely durable, but I also think Volk's shown some vulnerability to big power strikes. I think he can be hurt and can be yep. finished, but I think it's rare, and I think that Yair can also be hurt. You know, Josh Emmett had him on ice skates for a portion of that fight, um, despite the fact that it was a, otherwise a clinic from Yair. You know, Yair basically won every minute and second of the fight, but he also got badly rocked, and it wasn't a long fight, right? So I feel like all that being said, the way Yair fights invites a lot of violence, invites a lot of danger, and I think Volk has the cardio, the pace to put it on people late uh, more often than not. So it just seems like a fight to me where uh, one guy is either going to spend himself for victory or spend himself too early and get finished. Yep, we definitely agree there. And again, another thing, if you can find a house where you can get a plus money on an under, maybe you can incorporate that. Again, I feel like you know Rodriguez money line and KO is so damn juicy that you could just base your plays around that if you wanted to um if you want to take some friendly sprinkles but yeah i think that's uh that's a good breakdown of this of this uh of this fight let's go to the co-main event the next title fight where uh spoiler alert i actually think this one is going to go to decision and it may surprise you who i think wins the decision um but uh, we got brandon moreno minus 225 alexandre pantoja plus 175 i'll just lead off on this one since uh i obviously taped this one fully through i uh, got my action network uh, bet and stuff already out and the mma junkie in-depth should hopefully be out by the time you guys are listening to this if you're not listening to it live that is uh but yeah basically uh even though moreno is technically 0-2 in the series albeit one of them was an exhibition both were over a half decade ago of course 2016 tough 24 series loses by submission after a competitive round one and then of course a 30-26 with a 10-8 round one for pantoja winning all rounds in their uh official uh, non-exhibition bout in the ufc chile Pantoja actually took that fight somewhat of a short notice, I believe. Not too short notice, but he wasn't the original scheduled man for that. Didn't matter. Um, it was his strikes off the reset, strikes off the breaks, um, leg kicks, counters and combinations uh, that was able to get Moreno. Of course, Moreno, that was when the flyweight purge was happening, so the UFC didn't keep him around. He, uh, I believe, won an LFA title or something like that. Came back. And we've seen him essentially finally start stringing everything together, putting all the skills together before our eyes, uh, really developing a counter game of that left hook. He always had jiu-jitsu and jiu-jitsu interests and really de de uh, delve headfirst, underrated jiu-jitsu, but really swam toward the wrestling, at least offensively, not beyond being taken down still, but offensive improvements and scrambling improvements in general, wrestling improvements, stringing his whole game together. He's had some camp changes. I like what he's doing now. He's got the personalized camp in Las Vegas. He's splitting time with uh, Safe Sayud in his corner, who is a guy who makes sure to keep their fighters' work rates up, their pace up, um, good strategist. All good things, I think, for not just Brandon Moreno a good fit, which we saw, I suspected, in his last fight, but also in a fight where you've got a guy who, despite having the experience that is Japan Toja, he has been scheduled for five rounds in like his Shudo Brazil days and shit, but he has never gone to the fourth round. He has never seen it. Um, he has shown some bad optics that have cost him in some fights that he's arguably won. The common threads in his losses, of course, are wrestling, pressure, 
and people that can keep up that pace and dictate the grappling, that, that is the common thread and makes sense for a guy stylistically offensively armed like Pantoja is. So the question for me, Liam, is, and maybe I'm wrong here because I suspect we're going to see them do more of the Davison-Figueredo round three game plan that we saw Coach Safe implement in the Figueredo four fight where they're fighting a little more safer, trying to find that balance between still staying active with the lead hand but not exposing his leg. You even see that in a lot of the training videos leading up. They're obviously aware of he's good with the lead hand, but what's the exchange? Lead hand means lead leg weight, which means if you're facing a good leg kicker, well, there's your striking dynamic, at least one of the major ones you need to watch out for. And I think we do need to watch out for in this fight, of course, Pantoja. Good leg kicks only has gotten better. We talk a lot about Moreno's improvement. Pantoja, on the other hand, he didn't start working his wrestling until late in his career, post-tough with Henry Cejudo over a fight ready, trains, you know, fights Brandon Moreno. After that fight, he spent the last five years at American Top Team, where, of course, his leg kicks, calf kicks have only gotten better. Um, his striking technique is still really janky, but he counters in combination well uh, and does well in extend, extended exchanges, which is, again, you look at my breakdowns from Moreno Figueredo, it's Moreno is usually the one that is, his strength is traditionally in extended exchanges. So does he go into that fire and risk, you know, uh, coming out on the wrong end of some scrambling transitions, risk getting countered with some big right hands even though he's durable, right? Does he take too much damage or does he fight smarter, stay on the outside, that kind of draw, draw, counter, counter. When the guy comes in too hot, he's got his opportunistic takedowns, uh, work, uh, working with, uh, you know, some real talented jiu-jitsu pros out here in Vegas, you know, a black belt in his own right, can stay out of the submissions. In theory, that's a smart game plan. But again, say what you will. I'm going to pass it back to you, Liam. I'm long-winded here. But say what you will about Pantoja and his optics and the way he looks like he gasses. It's really only in the second round. In fact, in win or lose, he actually finishes third frames fairly strong. He's kind of like a more aggressive Jose Aldo in the sense that he's an athlete who it's not that he gasses because he's out of shape or he's a bad athlete or he's in bad condition. He just needs his pockets to recoup and recover. And I think he's gotten better about that. He's actually talked about it in interviews without being prompted, which tells me I'm what I'm seeing is not crazy. Um, and basically, I don't know, Liam. I'm, I'm picking Pantoja here. I'm kicking for coverage. I'm taking the money line. I basically think that if Moreno pressures him, like I think is the smarter game plan, uh, and I think he can survive. It, I still think it's too risky. Even when he was gassed against a pace machine like Royville, it was just one error that Royville made, and the position was completely turned around. I mean, seldom do you see Pantoja ever give his back. Askarov and, and like Dustin Ortiz even, who was like a legit guy who legit uh, grappled with him, probably did the best at anybody grappling with him was Dustin Ortiz. Even in that fight, you look at the, the most dominant positions that Dustin Ortiz gets in a victory, and those things are... They don't last long because Pantoja, he scrambles from negative positions, not only gets out of them, but literally completely turns it around and gets to your back and or finishes the fight as we've seen in the Royval thing. And I think that if they play a little smart, Liam, I feel like then you're not giving the pace, you're not you're not challenging Pantoja's gas tank, and I think he's the more damaging fighter with the leg kicks. I know Pantoja cuts easily, but let's not pretend that Moreno wears damage well at at all. This guy gets crazy freakish lumps. His leg, he's got really pale, you know, a uh, fair skin for a Mexican fighter that shows a lot of bruising on the legs. If you look at his ear, because he's been doing a lot of grappling, I'm guessing for this camp, uh, which is what we're leading on to, it's like malformed it's like the worst cauliflower ear like something's disgusting it's gonna blow up in the fight like this guy i know pantoja's the older fighter 
But again, mileage here. I, mean, I promise I'm throwing it to you, Liam. Here, uh, but mileage. I mean, the guy, the guy's been, the guy has three times the amount of fight camps since the summer of 2021. Moreno over him, and he's fought literally ten times the amount of rounds since the summer of 2021. Not including Moreno's insane schedule from 2019 to 20 through 2020, or any of the personal stuff and all the adversities and camp changes he's had to go through. Whereas Pantoja. He's not been very active, which is usually a problem unless you're a veteran fighter waiting for your shot, and that is exactly what he is. I know I went long-winded here. I hope I left you some meat on the bone, Liam. Am I crazy, Liam? Am I crazy? I mean, crazy would certainly be the wrong word, right? Uh, there's something I talk about in betting, um, and it's come through before, right? Proof of concept, right? Elvis Bernier last week is a perfect example. The guy was a plus 500 underdog against Zubaira Tehugov, and he went out there and he got the win by split decision. And then everybody concluded that there is zero chance he could win the fight again. And it's like, wait, he just proved that as a plus 500 underdog, he can come through. That's proof of concept, right? And I mentioned it on my show and didn't get to the window because I'm an idiot, right? But then I did take a live plus 375 on Elvis Bernier because I was like, man, he's going to win this fight, isn't he? Guram, good fighter. But I said on my breakdown, he's good for seven and a half minutes, and then he becomes much more average. Right? He just, uh-huh. It's not like he becomes bad. He doesn't become right. terrible. He just becomes an average guy, and an average guy can get knocked out, and he can fight within a lesser margin than you expect from a minus 600 favorite. So these are the kind of things that I look for in terms of habits and patterns. One thing that stood out to me and gave me goosebumps on my arm, because I originally thought to myself, I was like, I, I almost feel like my hand is forced here to bet Pantosha because he's a plus money underdog and he's beaten the guy twice, right? But then when I started to think about the fight, the one concern I said was, all right, the bookmaker, they don't, you know, they're not, not aware of that fact, right? They know that he's been beaten before, but they also look at the fact that, you know, Pantosha maybe doesn't have the same public praise, right? He's not as noteworthy a fighter. People don't know him, right? He's got 50,000 Instagram followers. There, there's uh, people with cooking shows and stuff with more, uh, you know, influence in the fight community, right? In terms of just public perception, Brandon Moreno, 2.1 million uh, on Latin American commentary, all sorts. Like he just does more things. He's around more. He's more visible. He's more public. So that's one of the reasons that this could be a line that doesn't make sense, right? So you have to think about why is the line the way it is. And this is one that I'm struggling with because the other thing I think about is. Where are they at in, at this point in their career? And Pantoja is an excellent fighter. He's 33 years of age. He shouldn't be too old to fight, but he is in a division where it does trend a little bit younger. So that's one thing I'm looking at. Moreno is still the younger guy here. And so if you look at rematches historically where the younger guy has won two fights, all, all that you're talking about when you're booking the third fight is how quickly the the finish is going to materialize, right? Because it's just this guy is younger. He's still improving. He already won the first two. But that's not the case here. We do have an older fighter with the first two wins in the series. And so they're giving Moreno another chance to run it back. Think about the Figueredo series, right, where he gets the draw and then he gets the win and the loss. and the win. Like they just kept running it back. They, they liked the idea of this guy being in fun fights, being contentious, bringing in a lot of eyeballs, and he's done a good enough job at what he's doing. To your point, I think that him putting together his own camp is is part of the reason why he's favored here. Uh, when you look at the Kraus situation, right, which nobody ever talks about anymore, but it's like 
these are the kind of things that put me off a fighter when I'm just like, all right, there's turmoil in his life. He's outside of the cage having to relocate his life, having to find a new gym, having to do all this stuff. I said before the Romanov and Volkov fight, I can't back Romanov. He doesn't have a camp. He said it in interviews. He's like, I'm just going around Moldova like lifting weights and like, you know, training with a couple buddies or whatever. Yeah, that's not going to win you UFC fights. This fight camp, he was in Maryland in the United States getting looks with black belts and real people. So that it's not to say that that was a lock that he was going to beat Imovov. I didn't bet it either. But I just said to myself, he's giving himself a chance. If you don't have a camp, you don't have a chance, right? And so for me, Moreno doing the thing where he's bouncing around and I don't really know where he's training and he's not really solidified, that was a little concerning to me in his last fight against Kaikara France. I think that showed, right? You've talked about before on your show, I always say you're my favorite analyst. This is one of the reasons why you talk about maybe a guy goes to a new camp and it's a great camp change for him. But then, you know, it takes a camp or two or three before he really gets into the system of this new gym, before he's integrated with these new relationships. And so you can't always judge somebody for, hey, he goes out there, he's in a new camp, and he doesn't look like himself. So he sucks, and he's never going to be good again. I feel like Kaikar France went out there with a good enough game plan, tried to bring the heat to him, tried to land big shots, tried to separate him from consciousness. I mean, Moreno's a really tough guy. He did some damage. He tried to take him out of the fight with damage, too. That's a good way to get to somebody who's really tough. If the doctor stops it, doesn't matter how damn tough you are. Please, no, uh, doctor stops it, doesn't matter how tough I am, right? So that's one thing that we've seen uh, throughout the history of fighting is people can't just take free damage. I feel like for Moreno in this fight, he's going to have to be defensively sound. We we discussed. Pantoja went out there and had grappling success in the first fight that they had on tough, but he had striking success in the second fight that they had. Uh, you know, it wasn't really a wrestling-based performance. His grappling, his scrambling is a piece of the puzzle, but also his ability to strike on the feet. I do think Moreno is starting to close that gap a little bit on the feet. And what was interesting to me is he brought in Mikey Musumeci for this camp, several pictures posted with him, getting a bunch of rounds in. So it's not just the typical MMA guys. He's bringing in elite finishers, black belt world champions on the ground to try and get the best looks that he can. And one thing I've always noted about Moreno, and by the way, Moreno, um, you know, I've never won a bet on this guy. So I've just, I, I, I'll own, we talk about owning the wins, own the yeah, losses, right? Yeah, I've never, yeah. I've never won a bet on this guy. I've, I was bullish on him the time he lost to Figueredo, right? Like, I, I've just not been able to get this guy right in terms of timing. But I think he's a good fighter. I think his pace is very, very high. And the one thing that worries me is I have felt like I have seen Pantoja slowing down. I have won bets on Pantoja, right? So I bet him against Brandon Royval, and I cashed that ticket. Minus 155, nice spot there, won a unit. But I did have some worries in that fight because I said to myself, wow, it looked like if he didn't get that – and I've been there, by the way. Sometimes you got to sell out and it's time to go. Like right now, I need to finish this and be done. And it, that's nothing wrong with that if you get the win. But I think to myself against a guy like Brandon Moreno, there is zero quit in him. He's a very tough guy. Even when Pantoja submitted him, he killed him, right? Like he actually killed him first and then submitted him, right? He was already like like ready to go uh, because he was hurt so bad. He was getting beat up. He was getting punished. He was getting tired and he was getting mauled. So terrible situation for him. I feel like he's gotten so much better defensively that it's going to be difficult for Pantoja to beat him over five. That is one thing I do think will be tough because I, I think Moreno will pace him if it gets to three, four, and five a little bit down the stretch. However, it's about how much damage he sustains early because you can't really keep up a great pace if you take too much damage in the early going. Think Jimmy Crude, Alonzo Menafield, yep. where he had no energy to finish him because he was already beat up really badly. So I just think Moreno in this fight... He has a good team around him. He seems like he's put the right pieces in place, and he's a lot more mature. 
And I feel like he's going to come out, show some composure, and show some uh, you know willingness to evade early, right? If you get into the fire with Pantoja in the early going here, that's you're giving him his best chance to win. I do think Pantoja by sub in round one and two is still very live. I think he can he could do it by clubbing him, right? Mm-hmm. You talked about the striking. The way you get Brandon Moreno is not when he's clear-headed, right? You got to get him panicked, overwhelmed. You got to hurt him, in my opinion. We've seen Figueredo get through with big shots that hurt him, that had him wide-eyed, that made him second-guess. Kaikara France landed big shots. But I think that Pantoja has the ability to finish if he hurts him. So for me, I think Pantoja is going to pour out the cup. That's truly how I feel. I feel like he knows. They will never give me another title shot if I lose here. Uh, the UFC does him no favors, right? Never gives him huge promotion or anything. But I think he can come out here and spoil everybody's party if he empties the jug and tries to finish him in the first two rounds. When Moreno tends to start a little bit slower and feel his way into the fight and try and get loose out there a little bit, and he's standing on two feet and shifting side to side, that's the kind of thing where Pantoja could blast him off his feet, take his back, and submit him. But I feel like if that doesn't happen, I do like Moreno as the younger guy here with a great pace, with a great motor. ABC say always bet on cardio. That's one thing that I I forgot that last week in the main event. And I said, Abus Magomedov, more dangerous guy early. But then what did it last for? Four and a half minutes? It's just like you can't bet on that kind of uh, cardio. So the ABC say always bet on cardio in this sport. And that's the one danger for Pantoja. But I agree with you that from a money line standpoint, I can understand why people are getting to plus 175 on the guy who's won twice as opposed to minus 200 on the guy who is foreign to as a UFC favorite, not blowing your hair back, 10% ROI, not blowing your hair back. And by the way, this is the one thing that I'll leave you with that stood out to me the most. Pantoja has never been an underdog in the UFC. Yeah, yeah. This isn't... <laughs> and here he is today. It's like he's plus 175 against a guy he's beat twice. That, to me, is also like, is it just that nobody knows this guy? Is that really what's happening? Like, Well, you know what, and, and you know what it reminds me of, and this isn't the same excuse because everybody knows who Robbie Lawler is, but Robbie Lawler and Rory McDonald, I was like, wait a minute, you're giving me plus money? For the guy, because they were already anointed, and Roy didn't even have the title, but they were treating him like he was uh, finally can't. They were saying finally Canada's going to have another champ. The GSP next GSP prophecy is going to be. You guys remember this, right? This is this is pre UFC 289, and I was like, Are you kidding? Did you guys not watch the first fight? Like Robbie Lawler is amongst. He's amid this resurgence. That first fight wasn't long ago. This one actually was the Moreno Pantoja one, so maybe not the best thing there but it, it just reminds me of one of those situations where it's like but Robbie again he is the older fighter right and to your point Liam the statistics are on your side both on younger divisions title fights or rematches there is a significant edge on all three of those check boxes that are in play here for the younger fighter so you're not crazy at all but I just I'm getting these Robbie Lawler vibes and it's crazy because I know I'm a Pantoja guy and maybe this is expected for me uh, some of you listening to this, but I actually came in listening to uh, leaning toward Moreno because of exactly what Liam said is the cardio. Uh, I don't like that Pantoja, you know, how he's paced. And I kind of wish he didn't finish those fights early because I wanted to see how they would go, both the Royal and especially the Alex uh, Alex Perez fight, who gets a lot of shade. That guy is much better than he's performed, been made out to be, and the way that the cookie is crumbled, which is bad luck for him, has, has, has went. Um, so it's a really weird sample size in that in that effect. And yeah, that is crazy. That is the first time he's an underdog. And it's not crazy for you or anybody to not be good at picking Moreno fights. Because here's another thing. Whether we're talking about that weird Sergio Pettis fight. And I know you look at it now and you're like, oh wow, okay. Moreno was young. That was the first end of his career. Sergio Pettis much better than his, both his fans and detractors thought he was, right? 
But if you go into that fight, too, that was another one because it was in Mexico. Moreno was coming off some big wins, like guys like Dustin Ortiz, who didn't never really got his flowers right. Um, he was uh, he was he was favored to win that, and it was a really weird performance. You know, it was a different Moreno, granted, but we've seen this before. We saw this in the uh, his last title defense, his very last, when he was in the same position again. He said he learned from it when he went to Anaheim. Remember, he had the the new smoke show girlfriend. He's got all the media obligations. He's even admitting now, by the way, that that was a lot for him. It wasn't just us playing that narrative and judging from the outside. Like no, he said these things himself. And that was just his last title defense, right? And you actually see this in Moreno. Like, he'll just have some inconsistent-ass performances sometimes. Um, he's not beyond having those. It's really weird. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with anything you're saying. Uh, I think that, you know, in fact, I actually think that Moreno is more likely person to get a, a knockout. And a stoppage in general, but particularly a knockout. I know neither guy has been knocked out, pro or amateur or exhibition. But... Even though I'm big on Pantoja and I'm picking him here, and by the way, I put two units at plus 185. That just, you know, he not only is he a dog for the first time, he opened at plus Solid 140. Number, man. You, you're gonna give give me almost two to one against a guy who this is his shot. You know, he's good. And again, you want to talk about? I'm not trying to be like, oh, to feather the nest for the fall. Like, I'm okay with my Santos over Onama bet because at least he went for the sub. As much as there is truth into that, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to shield myself here. But like, uh, at the same time. Man, win or lose, Pantoja's just a guy that's going to fight for your money. You don't got to worry about that. Um, but what you do got to worry about is that he does show up post-prime. He is 33, which isn't the oldest, but he's been fighting since 2007. That's 15 or 16 years. So he is in that post-prime territory where he either does his RDA, Charles Oliveira, Patricio Pitbull, some of my favorite Brazilian war horses. You know where I'm going with this, folks. Um, the, the, you know, I hate to do the stereotyping, uh, the racial analysis, if you will, but uh, shout out to my guy Paul Shag, positive racism here. Um, I, I, you know, people all say the Mexican stuff chin or whatever, but like the Brazilians, man, you want to, you know, they would often, especially early on in betting circles, like back like over a decade ago, Liam and, and listeners, like they would have this rap of like, oh, Brazilian cappers were like, oh, Brazilians are front runners, front runners. That's that's how you cap all their fights. They're just front runners. And it was, it's so funny that they, they've always had this kind of negative connotation. But if you look at actually people who have longevity of the sport, late prime, championship run primes in stacked divisions, they're the Brazilians, motherfucker. They're the war horses. They're the ones lasting. Put some respect on those names. We'll see if Pantoja is that. I mean, I, I'll feel great for him regardless of who I pick here. But I, I did end up going with Pantoja, and I actually did pick him by decision. As crazy as that is, it's plus 500. I didn't play it straight, but I am going to put that in a round robin because I just went two units straight up. I don't like a lot. Again, it's a plus money. It's a dog. Me and Liam have a similar uh, thought process on these things, a similar philosophy, if you will. And that philosophy is only stronger, I believe, on cards like this that are forcing you to either go wide and lay heavy chalk for favorites or play big plus money dogs in a volatility sport. That's an easy choice for me um but it's not an easy pick for this fight believe me it's not there's there's so many ways this fight could, you could literally pick each fighter to win by every way and make an argument for it right liam in this fight absolutely absolutely and i had thought to myself uh my initial gut instinct was fight ends by sub because both of these guys like to grapple both of them like to wrestle i feel mm -hmm. like they'll be in a lot of grappling positions then you look back and they've had 59 combined professional fights neither one of them's ever been submitted you're like wow like it, it's it's a tricky fight to handicap uh because both of these guys are just dog tough 
really talented, skilled in all positions, and one guy's had the wins, but can he do it? The other thing I would say is just from a top-line standpoint, it's hard to beat a good guy three times. It just is. I, I've yeah, found it yeah. myself in wrestling. Uh, there's only been, I think, two people that ever beat me twice in a wrestling match. Like Just certain things like that that stick with you after years of competing. And uh, it's just really hard to beat good people that get a, a beat on how you perform, especially. Because that's the other thing is, you don't think he's been looking at Pantosha this whole time? Like, you bastard. Uh, like, I'm still salty. And I bet Brandon Moreno was the one that asked for this fight. Uh, whether that goes his way or not, we'll see. But uh, I'm sure that he wants this one back, like a lot of guys before him. Uh, when you have that sour loss, that taste in your mouth, you want to get that out. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Uh, we obviously spent a lot of time on those fights. We'll try to go a little faster on these ones. Uh, I didn't even do tape on this one yet. Um, I'm probably going to be picking Robert Whitaker, obviously, minus 400. Drykus Duplessis, uh, third Drykus Duplessis for the people on the podcast that appreciate the nicknames, plus 300. I know people get upset when you make jokes these days, but that's that's the world we live in. This is this is this fight. Um, basically, I'm picking Robert Whitaker, even though I didn't do tape on it, and I, I'm I'm comfortable enough to say that because when we fought Marvin Vittori. I was very bullish on that, and I was just like the guy's record against Southpaws, the, the the stylistic matchup, and Liam. I did something uncharacteristic. I don't know if it was like five or something stupid, like seven units, but I never do those bets. Um, I never do those. I, I, I it's rare that I even do the two unit bet that I just did on Pantoja, um, which is crazy. Like you know, uh, you know, for for all the for all the, for all the hate that I, I I got with my my, my losing streak lately, like, at least I'm not betting like a lot. Like I don't know. Like, but, uh, but man, you know what, if there is a time to do that and lay the, you know, pull it out and lay it on the table, so to speak, lay down the hammer, lay down the, lay down the, lay down the piece there, a little, little pantomime gesture for the visual listeners that was inappropriate. I mean, why not for guys like the Robert Whitakers or Alexander Volkanovsky's like the pound for pound fighters, uh, whether you like them or not. And I love them, which shouldn't have anything to do with your betting. In fact, if you're being good, it should definitely not have anything to do with it. But, you know, it's a bonus if it lines up with the analysis. Like, why not? Why not in this spot? And I almost feel like doing it here, but because my luck has been so bad and I pissed so many Dreykus Duplessis fans and his family off that uh, if I post a public bet and it loses, oh my God, it's going to be not just like losing a bet, not just losing a big bet, Liam, which we all been there, right? Not fun. But yeah, uh, I don't know if I want to bring that juju, but believe me, man, especially with this card looking slim, part of me is like, do I just like not sweat? Instead of trying to sweat the method, like is it Whitaker by decision or is it Whitaker by round two stoppage, right? That's where my head's going. I'm like, instead of like having to choose, Parker, like maybe this is the one time, again, we just talked about don't wipe four to one chalk, MMA, this and that. I'm like, maybe the one times you do it is when the really good guy who you love and is just one of the best. Is fighting literally a guy who slipped on banana pe- slipped on banana peels on his way to success. Um, you know what I'm saying? And I want to keep the personal part out of it because that goes right into play too. But I, as you guys know, I, I I always do my best to keep it professional. But yeah, man, like Liam, what's your analysis on this fight? Did you watch tape on this fight? Do you have any betting angles? Because for me, I'm just like, do I sweat the methods or do I just do I just lay the chalk and and just keep walking here? You know, I'll always tell you guys when I have uh, strong reads on people, I'll always tell you when I have success, right? We'll talk about somebody uh, next up, Jalen Turner. I've made 17 units betting on Jalen Turner. Can I be objective about a guy like that? It's going to be very difficult, right? He's just (laughs) done me a lot of favors, right? Like he's my book for life that, right? So those are the kind of things where I'll always take that into account in my handicap. And the truth of the matter is, 
there is probably only a handful of fighters in the UFC that have cost me more money than fucking Robert Whittaker. Okay? <laughs> I wrong about this guy every time, right, all right? right, right and right, right, the right. truth is, I have been bullish on fading Rob, not because he is a bad fighter. He is a clearly great fighter, but because I have a uh, different style of betting, right? Where Rob Whitaker is almost always a favorite, and he's yeah, delivering, by the way. So I always compile trends. Uh, it's, it's something I feel like is lacking just a touch in the MMA gambling community. A lot of people talk about uh, the fights or the tape, but I like to look at trends because it's one thing that can just give me an outside perspective that is un uninfluenced by my own biases, right? Like we talked about, Robert Whitaker, I get this guy wrong all the time. The facts say he's 7 and 1.4% ROI in the UFC. That's unbelievable, right? So like you said, if you've been betting him, I actually was part of the uh, you know mass of people that donated to all the Whitaker betters last time out <laughs> with our Mark Vittori bets, right? And so right. the thing is, I have made very few big bets in my life that blew up in my face. And I say that not as, you know, Hopefully it doesn't happen in the future, right? Right, but right. I've been very selective with them, and it's been Tatsuro Tyra at minus 200, and then he looks like a minus 1,000 type of deal, right? Those are the, the bets I hope to make. But I made a big bet on Vittori because I thought to myself, it's in Europe. They're trying to get this guy, Vittori, a big step up. They're having him fight Robert Whitaker, and I feel like Whitaker's chin has shown vulnerability in recent fights. I felt like Darren Till buzzed him really bad. I felt like Kelvin Gastelum, who's a tweener, got to him with some big shots as well. I felt like even in round one, commentators were saying it was a nip-tuck round with Vittori. It's just that Vittori in round two got assaulted, right? Like he was just getting right. beat the hell up. And by round three, Vittori didn't even want to be there. So he was like, please get me out of here. Somebody end this fight. And he just shook Rob's hand at the end like, yeah, you got me. All right. <laughs> please relent the beating. So I feel like we've seen Marvin Vittori come back down to earth, right? People had expectations. He was literally the number two guy at middleweight in the world in that fight. Right. Yeah. Did he look like a number two guy in the world at middleweight last no. time out? No, he got no. assaulted by Derek Cannonier. So, again, Marvin, I feel like, was a little bit overhyped in that fight, by myself included. And he had pillow fists, right? But I'm thinking to myself, it's 185. How, how heavy-handed do you need to be? Rob's getting hurt by everybody. Rob absolutely beat him up. But it wasn't like Marvin didn't land. Marvin just has no power. So when he landed, it did nothing to Rob. And Rob would land, and Marvin would go, wow, that hurt me real bad. And he'd show visible damage. Duplessis is a awkward weirdo, but he also lands with, you know, death touch type power, right? Look at the Trevin Giles fight. I would argue Trevin Giles might have landed his best combination of the fight seconds before he was knocked brutally unconscious, right? Like yeah, he lands yeah. a nice one-two and Duplessis goes, what? And just lands a right hand that doesn't look like it has that much behind it. And Trevin Giles is asleep before he hits the ground. So I think that Duplessis has weird athleticism. I think he's got a lot of natural power. And I think he does most things unconventionally. You look at the guy wrestling in space. He's not like a lot of MMA fighters that everything they do is predicated on a cage. Marvin Vittori can't wrestle unless there's a cage, right? He just forgets how to do it. But when there's a cage, he'll try and take you down. He'll wrap around the leg, right? Singles, doubles. That's the very basic MMA approach to wrestling. Duplessis football tackles you. Like his name is Austin Lane or Greg Hardy, right? Yeah. He just goes head to the chest and runs through you. And he does it at weird times. It blends with the striking, which is just loose-handed uh, bombs, right? But he also has big kicks, and he will pick his shots carefully at times. When you see him start to get bust a little bit in a fight, he'll start picking inside and outside low kicks, moving around a guy, but then he will randomly switch up with a nuclear bomb from his right hand that just catches people by surprise. And 
I feel like Rob is in danger of getting knocked out in this fight because I think, one, he's going to know he's better than Duplessis, and he's going to come in with that confidence. He's going to come in swinging big shots, and I feel like he puts himself in the line of fire in every fight. He's going to win a lot of exchanges here, but I think the prospect of him getting hurt at some point is not out of reason. And I do think when you look at a lot of the guys that have tried to wrestle Robert Whitaker, they don't have uh, the kind of power and physicality that Duplessis has. I think Robert Whitaker is underrated for how physical he is because he's up from 170, but he's grown into his body. He's a big, thick 185er now. I feel like in this fight, though, he's going to be dealing with a guy who's just as athletic, who's not as technically skilled. So... If I could see Rob Whitaker here at minus 200 like he was against Marvin Vittori, that would make more sense, right? Minus 225, plus 200 comeback, that would make more sense. But Duplessis, in my opinion, is more dangerous than Marvin Vittori right now, period, point blank. Like, who is more likely to finish a fight against any random generic middleweight? It is not close. It's Duplessis. He has a better submission game for finishing fights at this level based on what we know. I think Marvin Vittori only submitted uh, Carl Roberson who's, like, now in jail, right? Like, again, no no hate, but, like, right. Carl Roberson wasn't that serious about his MMA career, right? He had some other things going on. I feel like in this fight, Duplessis doesn't get his due because he's a heel, because he's a guy that people do not like. And so I just think when you have middleweight, it's a little more volatile than these odds would suggest. But I do think the more talented fighter, the guy who's deserving of a favorite status is Whitaker. But for me, I'm a numbers guy, right? And I'm willing to look like a fool sometimes. Duplessis may, may make me look like a fool, but if I'm taking a bet on this fight, I'm taking Duplessis at plus 300 personally. Yeah, I was going to say, you got the odds. So, like, if you wanted him at plus 300 or plus 500 KO, um, I don't blame anybody taking a sprinkle on that. I feel like he missed the boat on the Rob lines. For me, uh, it's it's still playable chalk at, like, minus 125 for KO, but it, often, it opened the opposite of that at, like, plus 125 neighborhood. I feel like that would have been great, your shot there. And then what you would pair that up with, which you also miss the plus money on, and you have to play slight chalk, is the under 2.5 round. So you hope that Rob gets his finish that you bet on under 2.5, but you also have that under, depending on how you want to weigh your plays, uh, to cover you for a Dreykus submission or TKO. God forbid he pulls the upset. So I feel like that would have been, in my opinion, the best way to play this. Um, without, you know, again, I didn't run it through the full comb, but I'm, I'm very familiar with both these fighters. Um, and, and now you're just looking at dog or, pa uh, dog or pass it in a lot of perspective. What's up, Liam? I had one interesting thing I wanted to add here, and I felt yeah. like you would appreciate this more than most, which is the thing that sold me on Duplessis as a real prospect at 85, uh, despite all the wildness and the weird uh, elements of his game, mm. was his win over Brad Tavares. And if you look at Brad Tavares' resume, the guys that have, he's like 12 and four in decisions, right? He lost to Aaron McKenzie in like 2014. And then he lost to Israel Adesanya. I forget the one other fight in the UFC, but another UFC high-level guy. Romero. And Yoel Romero, thank you. And then effing Drickus Duplessis. Those are the only three guys in the UFC to beat this yeah. man by decision. And it's because Brad Tavares has great output, excellent anti-grappling. He's got a lot of elements of a guy that wins decisions, right? Very uh, contentious striking. But in that fight, Duplessis, after a bad round one, was able to come back on Brad Tavares, who does not have bad cardio, and normally builds into fights more and more. That, for me, was like, wow, is this guy better than I'm giving him credit for? Because, by the way, Dan, I took a bath on that fight, despite yeah, me too. betting on and <laughs> winning me. on Drickus Duplessis. I, well, wow. I had Duplessis on the money line, and I bet more on the fight not to go. Because I was oh. like, if he loses his fight, Brad Tavares is laying him out. Oh. I was like, of course. And then I end up uh, giving, giving back the profit. So, uh, you know, I beat the closing line, 
but it didn't matter in the end, right? And I think in this fight, it's a, it's just a volatile middleweight fight. I feel like every Duplessis fight has an air of volatility above other fights. And by the way, first time as an underdog in the UFC, and it's plus 300. Yeah, it does. It, it's, that scares me because even though, you know, uh, Tavares' fight was weird. I, I don't know how he won that. I know... And I want to be, you know, be careful about it because I, I, love, I love my guy Brad, of course. But you know, he is getting older and stuff, so you don't know what stage or what he's going through. The guy never got the flowers that he deserves or the respect, so I, it always it always hurts me extra there too because it's like I want to be unbiased, but as well as like you know, even if I didn't know this guy, the people that know me, I, I always you know uh, root for the underdogs, the people that don't get their flowers. So I feel like I would do that anyways for Brad. But that's a great point. He doesn't lose decision very much. And that actually scares me. Between that and missing the boat on the other angles of the under and Whitaker by TKO, I almost, like, for that reason, I almost feel like maybe taking the inflated plus money now on the over 2.5 if you feel like these guys are just going to duke it out, you know? And uh, you don't want to risk it on Rob in case it's just one of those decisions where with the criteria, you know, you could be like, oh, well, Rob's super technical the whole fight. But then, you know, like Romero, uh, Whitaker round four in, in their second fight, right? Like, I still give it to Rob because he didn't go down. He was definitely hurt by that one punch. But it was literally, literally the only punch Romero th- th- uh, threw all round. And the rest of the round was literally like four minutes and 58 seconds of Whitaker jabbing him up and being more technical. But you never know, right? The, the way the criteria is written is that you could give rounds like that to Romero or Duplessis if because they have that big swinging headshot. You guys know I talk about it to death on here. Um, it really it really sways over the technical counters and other things like that. Not that Whitaker is some, like, solely counterpuncher or anything like that. So, yeah, there there are scary pathways here for Duplessis uh, to give him some credit. Yeah, and even the Till fight, where I bet Till, by the way, because I felt yeah. like Till at plus 170 was a little bit more proven and he had a little bit of upside on the feet against Duplessis. He was doing things I didn't expect, like holding the wrist against the cage, switching sides as Till tried to switch sides, trading off wrist and just punching him in the head. I thought that the fight was over, right? And I was like, yeah. Till better. I was like, they're stopping this. And then I thought for sure Till was going to win between rounds and I didn't cash out of my bet as he dropped to like a pick em price because I'm like, wow, like Till is easily gonna beat him, he's gassed. And he recovered again in round two like a son of a bitch. Like the guy is just a weird, tricky son of a gun. You know what I mean? Where he looks worse or like he feels like he should not have the result he does, but there he is again, you know? There goes that man. Yeah, and it's crazy because I'm, I'm saying Whitaker round two is popping in my head. I'm going to watch a couple things on Duplessis after this, folks, um, and check my quick picks and prognostications for and, and me on fight day at Dan Tom MMA for, for, for my picks from here on out because I do reserve the right to change. Uh, but I will say, uh, Duplessis, uh, you know, it's funny. I picked round three or whatever it was to the round, played it. I picked round two to the round, played it with Derek Brunson, which because I already was riding off that picking round two correctly for Jared Cannonier. Again, I'm not just blowing smoke up my ass, folks. The round props are my, are my thing. Um, I don't know. Maybe I mess up the juju by going against Duplessis and putting Robert Whitaker round two in my round robin. But right now, unless it's either like make a stupid emotional bet and go like eight units on to win two at minus 400 or I just like make a small bet on round two or throw it in like a or whatever round prop I land on um and throw it in like a round robin for fun like I'm not trying to get too crazy exposed but obviously I'm going with Whitaker here anything to add on that Liam nah that's it for me man uh probably a dogger pass for me but nothing nothing yet all right all right um this another share while we're going on here. Next fight. Uh, this one I was in the middle of taping. Okay, I only got the giant. Uh, I only got the Dan Hooker side, which he is the underdog side. Plus two twenty five. The comeback on him. The favorite, Giant Lynn Turner. Mister Turner, 
Minus 275. Um, you said it, man. Turner's Turner's done well for you. He's done well for me. Turner by sub, uh, that, that 700 submission club. Uh, I, I, I came up short on him last time, but again, I'm not trying to be the bitter better. We were on the right side or whatever, or, you know, trash the judges or just because I was on it. But no, it was a classic one where... I feel I, I put a gun in my head. I feel like I could have been on the other side and I would have been saying the same thing. I got lucky. I don't deserve to win that Gamrot decision. But it spilled milk at this point. He did lose it. Uh, Liam, um, you don't have to weigh in and all that. But as far as this fight goes, I know Turner's your guy. You got to try not to be un, uh, biased. But where did you end up on this one? So my analysis here is that I think Jalen Turner is going to win this fight. You know, from a betting standpoint, you know, Maybe the numbers just gotten away from us at this point. Probably wise to leave this one well enough alone, uh, because the one path I could see for Dan Hooker here, and the thing that's probably the most unremarked upon about his game is his wrestling. And Dan Hooker is a guy that, as he's gotten older and as he's gotten a chinier, I would argue, he's gotten a lot more uh, insistent about wrestling these guys. Especially think about the Nasrat Hakbaras fight. Um, you know where he likes to use his big body, his long frame. I think of the Mark Diacasey fight as well, where they're having very contentious striking exchanges, and then he's grabbing a hold of him, taking him to the ground, mixing it up, and frankly, you know, his submission game is very good, right? Like, I think his his guillotine fundamentals are sick. The way he finished Mark Diacasey uh, was very instructive for Rafael Alves, right? Like, falling to the side, um, you know, Mark Diacasey had no chance to recover there. You want to go flat to your back, he didn't give him a chance to. He had both lanes blocked off, so it was just a perfect guillotine. They call him the hangman for a reason, right? I think that the problem for him here is that Jalen Turner is the same size and a little bit bigger. He, I said this on my show, and I'm waiting for somebody to disprove me, but is Jalen Turner not the biggest lightweight in the history of the UFC? Like this, he's six foot three. He's massive, and he looks jacked. Like I don't know how he makes the weight class. It's an anomaly. It doesn't seem real, but he does it every time. And I feel like it's maybe going to compromise him in terms of his ability to stay at this weight class for a long time because he's so big. But I think he'll do okay at 170 once he fully grows into his body as well. Uh, he's still a young man, and he's been putting together great skills. He's been in an individualized training environment for a long time at Daruka Gym. He's been going around the world getting good looks as well. Everybody's got positive things to say about him, as far as I can tell, from training, from personal interaction. So seems like a very coachable individual who's putting in all the right work, who took a lot of tough fights early, by the way, knocked out UFC welterweight Gabe Green in the first round, which gave me the hint that Brian Battle was going to do the same thing. So these are the kind of things where going back into the well – I know that my danger factors here are Turner getting hurt, getting finished, or getting taken down too much. But that's probably 30% of the time here. Uh, you know, So I feel like he is a 70% or so favorite. I do think he's the more dangerous guy at range right now. I feel like he connects with more of his strikes. I feel like he throws more and forces guys into exchanges they don't want to be in. You think about uh, fights like Brad Riddell and these other guys that are very good, very dangerous strikers, but it's the first exchange where they get hurt. Right, like it's literally like he touches people and they start to make bad decisions right away because they're like, I don't know where to go with this guy. And Matt Frivola, the New York boys will teach you how to wrestle once again. We've said this, right. but when you're talking about guys that don't come from that kind of wrestling background, I feel like they're going to have a really hard time against Jalen Turner in his current iteration. Um, he's a really dangerous fighter, and I feel like Dan Hooker, his form lately has been poor. Just I don't think it's been the same guy. I thought the Claudio Puelas win is fine. But I feel like Claudio Puelas, everybody before that fight called him a fraud and called him a bum and everything else. But now Dan Hooker's back, baby. It's like, well, let's let's just slow our roll a tiny bit, in my opinion, on that. Um, but 
for me, I give me Jalen Turner here. I think he's going to get the win and probably an eventual submission finish here. But Dan Hooker's dog tough. He's going to keep fighting and uh, should be a fun fight. I agree with all that. I was just reminding everybody to smash that like button. We actually got decent viewership for me anyway. So, but the likes don't match up. So if you guys want to help me on that front, I just appreciate y'all being here. So you don't owe me anything. But it doesn't hurt to shoot your shot and ask. I appreciate it. I appreciate that analysis too. I'm also leaning toward... Uh, Jalen Turner, um, he rings about that, you know, that arbitrary 70% is, uh, you know, I, I don't disagree with that from what I'm seeing so far. I just ran through the hooker tape. Um, I'm trying to bring back the Southpaw Report this week, folks. It's been, it's just been crazy busy. I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to, you know, uh, delve into the, all the, the personal work and everything, because it's, it's just a lot of stuff's going on right now. So it, I, believe me, I, I, I am trying. Uh, but I will tell you that uh, Hooker, I went back and watched all the Southpaw fights before this and was on the Turner tape um, to kind of see where I end up here. Um, because, uh, yeah, he's 3-3 three and three against the UFC-level Southpaws. Of course, he has beaten Jim Miller, Nasrat, Hack Paras, and Claudio Puelles. Um You know, varying deg degrees of talent there, obviously, especially that last one. Um which, you know, nothing against Poyas. It just felt very rewarding because that was a guy where it felt like similar to Dreykus Duplessis, where it's just like, ah, it doesn't make sense how this guy's winning. Um, he's improved. He seems like a nice kid. But especially early on, like, he was up there with, like, as far as, like, when it, and I don't often say this is the worst fighter in this division. Like, he was in the running for that at a certain point. So the fact that he got as far and as hyped as he did, uh, and again, I don't know how to hate her. I like, I like the guy. He sounds like a really nice kid, but it's just like, ah. You know, again, that, that, that dynamic there, right? And we saw that play out. But one of the common things I noticed is that, uh, one, Dan Hooker, as much as I love his body work, is that, and I've noticed this in my breakdowns before I've noted it, is that he doesn't like the body work. That's what really hurts him. He's got a crazy chin. You know, unless you're Michael Chandler selling him out to catch him early, or he's cutting weight, like, and, and you sell out to catch him early, like Arnold Allen, um, I, I think he's a tough person to stop. And for that reason, I was actually looking at this fight to bet by decision, fight goes to decision, and then like Jalen Turner to win by decision, like plus 500 or whatever it was, like opened out or something stupid, what I saw earlier this week. Um, you know, he's never wanted a decision before because I feel like, oh, well, they're both tall, so maybe that maybe they're, they're, they're awkward. Jalen Turner's coming off of a loss. Uh, Dan Hooker is wanting to build back up. He's in a good place, so to speak, fighting smarter, less emotional. Uh, maybe he goes for the leg kicks at range, right? Uh, like he likes to do even against southpaws. He's really good about targeting the legs. He actually fights really well against southpaws, but maybe he doesn't want to get into that range with Jalen Turner, someone that not only can match his range, but to Liam's point, giant lightweight, giant reach, right? Um, and then he goes to his underrated wrestling, something that I've noticed since his fight with Dustin Poirier. I called for that because I recently rewatched and reread my breakdown in preparation for the Southpaw stuff. And uh, yeah, he went to the wrestling there too. I, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't be surprised with both the way he trends and what the matchup actually calls for. Again, regardless of how you scored that Gamrot fight, that is the way you got to fight Turner. You got to take him down, make it ugly. You can't. Uh, you can't have a nice uh, striking fight with him uh, pretty, whether it's in clinch, boxing, or kicking range. This guy could tear you up. And Turner does go to the body himself, too. Uh, shout out to my guy Fenio posting those highlights of his fight with another tall guy, right? Uh, Euros Medic. And again, I remember doing analysis before that fight. It was the same thing. We got we got two tall guys, that parody. And especially when it's two southpaws or one of them make for a weird fight, uh, you know, as, as far as that goes. So I'm actually getting more swayed away from my initial decision angles, which is admittedly me 
being contrarian and as a better probably being drawn to the big plus numbers we have to like liam said we have to call ourselves out right well what, 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 what's going on what, what's influencing us we have to acknowledge it at the very least so i'm uh, acknowledging that and saying that you know what <laughs> i went from thinking this fight maybe goes to the decision to where like I'm looking more at the under now slash, you know, I don't think I play in any houses that have those cool props where it's like fight ends in round two and you get a nice plus number no matter who wins. You know, you just pick the round it ends because I feel like this fight ends in round two. Um, I feel like this fight ends in round two all over it. And especially, you know, interviews are interviews, Liam. You can't, you got to take it with a grain of salt like I always say. But Jylan Turner sounds extra salty about the decision loss to where he's doing the whole F the judges, we ain't going to the judges. And if you look at his record, proof in the pudding, he's not a fan of the judges anyways to the point where he said even if he got the decision win that he should have probably got against Gamrot, he would have been mad at himself because apparently he has this goal where he doesn't want any decision wins. So that kind of turned me off from wanting to bet that angle, Liam. Uh, I'll see where I end up, but I, I want to give myself the right to finish my tape and, and not influence myself and mislead any of my audience but yes i'm looking at jalen turner and i'm looking at round two uh if you're playing dan hooker i don't blame you i would actually look for dan hooker by decision because if it does go to decision um it means that dan hooker probably wrestled uh, enough to uh not take the damage that would cost him uh the split that like should have went to his you know jalen turner's way in his last fight that's my analysis here does that make sense yeah, absolutely, man. And uh, the the one thing I'll note about Jalen Turner is he's one of the fastest starters in the lightweight division, which I yes. feel like is something that is like an unremarked upon but really valuable tool, right? Like Brad Riddell is still in the back before he gets submitted in that fight. Like he he hadn't even got it. He's like, what? The fight's over. It didn't even start yet. Like right. the, these are the kind of things where uh, Uros Medic, the only fight, the only track bet I've ever gotten wrong on Jalen Turner is I bet him to beat Uros Medic in round three. Uh, in addition to betting in by sub and on the money line there. So it's mm. like, for, for me, I've just looked at this guy and said to myself, what an athlete. He can continue to push a better pace as he's gone longer in his career. I feel like that's something where it just takes some time to grow into your lungs, to grow into your body, to grow into your patience, right? What did he just talk about? I'm an animal. I want to go in there and finish. I want to F the judges, right? That kind of guy, you have to make sure he tempers himself just a little bit. And I feel like we're seeing a more patient, more mature version of Jalen Turner, but he can kill you from second one until the very end of the fight. You're in constant danger if you're not on top of him. And if you are on top of him, he's got very long limbs and he can throw up submissions from the bottom. He continues to work his jiu-jitsu game and get better, has experience in the gi as well as no gi. I feel like he's a very good guy, a very good prospect. Everything I like. And the the thing is, uh, Danton, we talk about why numbers matter. He is now plus 240 to win this fight by submission against Dan Hooker. And admittedly, there's a quote from my notes about Dan Hooker that says, Dan Hooker is not a good grappler. That is a quote from my notes. It doesn't matter if you train with good guys. Uh, he has good offense. He has good submissions. He has good catches, like we like to say. He has good wrestling. But grappling for grappling, he allowed Islam Mahashev to move every position he wanted with zero resistance and then got his arm torqued. And he's like trying to hang out, like laughing and whatever. Dude, you're going to get your arm broken and like ruin your career, right? Like, so for me, I just feel like Dan Hooker is not that serious. You know, he takes it all as a big joke and a fun game and whatever. But since the Poirier fight, I just felt like that level of intensity has been a little bit less. And I feel like Jalen Turner, that level of intensity, every fight just goes up a degree. And I feel like right now he's as dangerous as he's ever been. And uh, he's the wrong guy to get in the cage with. From plus 700 on the sub to plus 240 against a better guy, I'm not going to take the number anymore. But I think it's cashing again. I think Jalen Turner is going to submit this guy. 
Yeah, I think that's a really interesting look to submission. I, 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 uh, I wouldn't be surprised as a guy who's obviously bet and, and believed in uh, Turner submissions before. Um, you're you're right on that Dan Hooker analysis there. Um, Hooker got and, that long ass neck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely it definitely is scary. Uh, you know, because I I see the check hook and the body kicks and body work from Jalen Turner really hurting Hooker. And does that make him shoot right? And then you've got your club and sub there because that was my read on Riddell. Riddell, whenever he gets hit, he shoots. So I was like, okay, club and sub. Here we go. That's the kind of behavior I look for for picking those submission props. I know you're you've got you've got different routes of how you look at it as well, Liam. Um, but I, I think that uh, we missed again. I missed missed the boat. The under it's a one and a half too, which isn't as sexy as a two and a half. But again, now that that is now small chalk. It was small plus money. Congrats to anybody who got that. I think that would have been worth it. Um, I, even even though it's still like minus one ten, that's pretty much even. I still something you know again just to paying a minus number to sweat a one and a half under is definitely not my style. I'm more of an over guy. I'm more of a plus money guy. You know, I'm more of a two point five guy. Uh, so a 1.5, an under 1.5, a minus, and you, as you miss the boat, just doesn't 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 do much for me. And I don't play in the sexy houses, but you can find that plus money, plus 107 or so, uh, if you play in like the fan duels of the world. For Jalen Turner wins in round one or two, you don't got to sweat the choose Parker method. Those are his prime finishing rounds. Those are the prime finishing rounds for the fight. Um, Jalen Turner off the top of my head, probably has more first-round finishes to Liam's point and analysis, which is spot on. More of a chance of him finishing in round one than round two. Um, I, I know I sound bullish on round two, but I am acknowledging that. Uh, I will say, though, as far as the fight ends in round two, is just because you look back at that, that Dustin Poirier fight and a lot of Dan Hooker fights, he sl- he starts slow, and round two is arguably uh, tends to be you know some of his best round. End of round one to the beginning of round two is Dan Hooker's best spots. So I think round two is actually a little more potent for the hooker side. But if you're they're hanging a decent number on there, you don't know what to play, you're looking for something fun, I don't know, maybe, maybe look for that. But I got to see where I end up on it, and I got to watch. Uh, I'm going to rewatch Turner's last three fights. Um, but, yeah, I just see his body work and that check right hook um, doing it for him. I'm going to take Turner here inside the distance probably. Again, check my quick picks to see where I end up. Check my plays on fight day. All right, let's uh, let's get through the, the the last of these. We went through the the, the good fights. Uh, this one won't won't take long. Bo Nickel minus twenty five hundred. Val Woodburn, who had a sweet ninety early nineties jumpsuit uh, jacket uh, combo going on, plus eleven hundred. I didn't even look at this Woodburn guy. I don't even uh, know how much I want to look into it. What, what do you got here, Liam? To tell you the truth, I think Woodburn's going to win fights in the UFC. Uh, I think he can win fights in the UFC. I don't think he's like the world's most special prospect, but I do think he's an athlete, right? And I think that uh, the reason that they booked him in this fight, in my humble opinion, is because he forces himself into the clinch in every fight. And I think they see that for Bo Nickel and they go, duck under, back take, all she wrote. But I also think to myself, like, I feel like this guy is kind of a, a weird matchup to predict out because, number one, there's not a lot of footage of him wrestling defensively. What right. I did see was he's an athlete, and so he did a lot of the right things. Like he cut a, a hard angle with his hips on a wizard, and the guy that was trying to take him down couldn't. He stood back up, right? Like a couple of things like that. But you know as well as I do, levels, right, are just a huge factor. And in the wrestling, uh, there's just going to be more that Bo can do to extend 
go through exchanges one over the next over the next. So unless he gets caught in the early going here, his grappling sequences are more advanced. He should be able to move around this guy. But I do think the physicality of Woodburn uh, is something to take note of. He's fought as high as heavyweight. He's fought at 205 successfully as well. Uh, I believe as a pro as well as in the amateur. So this is a guy who has some experience under his belt more than Bo, more than Treshawn Gore, for Christ's sakes. Like, uh, so I think that it's not high level experience. It's all on the local Florida regional scene. But does he look like a real athlete that could have longevity in the sport? I think that he does. So uh, for me, I think that Bo Nickel at the huge price is not advisable. It's not appealing. Uh, it suggests he wins like 99% of the time. He probably does. But it's like there's just no value there. So I feel like it's a dog or pass situation in the most classic sense of the word. But you're probably going to look for props here or unders or things like that. I've had a great record of betting Bo Nickel fights because I've been very high on the guy. I knew he was going to come in, get a lot of favorable matchups, and his submission game checks out. I've seen him grapple black belts. I've seen him grapple on the uh, UFC Fight Pass shows back in the day. I think I can't remember if it was Quintet or uh, Fight Pass Invitational. It was one of these gimmicks that they do on Fight Pass, which I love. I love those grappling events. They're really interesting to see those kind of dynamics play out. We saw, like your uh, point before about Alex Perez, he went to a draw with Roman Bravo Young in a grappling match the other day. So this is the kind of fight where uh, I feel like we're getting uh, Bo Nickel in a more interesting fight in some ways than Treshawn Gore, but I think he's going to finish this fight in the first round more than likely via submission because I think his opponent's really tough. I think you're going to have to put him in a choke and get him uh, finished that way, whereas I don't think just landing a couple of shots is going to make this guy quit at all. I think he's a really tough guy, and I think he will win fights in the future in the UFC. Interesting, yeah. I want to look into him as well. I mean, he's an undefeated guy. He's a legit guy, but it's just picking these fighters up on short notice. And, you know, the way the UFC does it, this whole lowest bidder stuff, it's just uh, everybody's caught on. I'm not trying to beat the narrative with the 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 horse with the, the stick because I've, I've talked about this stuff for years now, and we're just seeing it come to kind of fruition. Um, but, yeah, it, just, it kind of feels like a waste of space, to be honest, in some ways when, like, you only have certain – you know, I, I don't know. I would much rather have written up and look other fights. And I like Bo Nickel, too. I'm high on him as well. It's just, uh, you know, these matchups are just uh, not the funnest to break down. Uh, next one, uh, Nico Price minus 225. Robbie Lawler plus 185. Are we all ready to be depressed? Um, I do not want to watch tape for this fight because I'm not going to. It's just going to depress me. I'm going to be picking Nico Price to win. And I'm going to pick him to win in round two or at the end of round one after Robbie Lawler starts off doing really good, better than we think. Even us that are negative and trying to sadness hedge, he will probably capture our hearts and get us to care and think he's going to win. And then Nico Price, kind of like the Tim Means fight, is just going to light him up by the end of round one or by the beginning of round two. Round two is jumping in my head, folks. But trust me, at least one of these fights, Price Lawler, Duplessis Whitaker, or Turner Hooker, one of those three fights are ending in round two, folks. I'm just, I'm just saying. That's my round two jumps. They're just jumping out at me. Round two, those three fights on this card, that round, that's what I just keep seeing. I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, obviously round one is the more favored round for it to end. The longer it go, the more depressing it is. But round two is that sweet spot. You're still not going to get crazy bump in the numbers. But you will obviously always get a decent bump. Of at least three to three dollars, uh, three dollars and fifty cents is usually the average to four dollars uh, differentials in price for uh, highly volatile fights uh, when you're betting round one to round two. So uh, that's why I also kind of like round two there. But uh, that that's really all I got for this fight. Well, are you seeing anything for this one, Liam? 
So I'll just point out one interesting trend here, which is that uh, Nico Price is not lost as a favorite in the UFC. I believe he's 3-0-1 or 4-0-1 as a favorite in the organization. And he's actually overperformed expectations as a dog as well. So Nico Price, just a guy that gets overlooked a little bit. Um, you know, I, I I feel like I'm the only person that ever talks about the fact that Michelle Paeda hit a flying backflip to the head and kicked him right in the face. Yes, it's yes. the clearest foul of all yes. time. The guy looks up at the referee like, and the referee's like, oh, look at that sick back. <laughs> nothing to help him. And I'm like, all right. So, like, this guy, Nico Price, is just tough as a $2 steak. He's not that good at fighting, in my humble opinion. I think he's a very tough guy. I think he's unorthodox. But he carries weird power. And the thing you don't want to do as a 41-year-old is fight a guy who carries weird power because there's nowhere safe in the fight, right? Like when Nico Price is just doing his weird herky-jerky boxing, sometimes bodies hit the floor. When Nico Price is underneath, sometimes he throws a hammer fist and you go to sleep. When Nico Price is laying flat on his back, sometimes he throws a kick from flat on his back and knocks you out like James Vick. Like he just has weird power in weird positions. He normally stays durable for the fight. He normally is fighting you for the whole 15 minutes and his volume has only improved over time in the UFC despite the fact that his defense and his durability have gotten worse. So is he winning all these fights? No. But he's taken a lot of fights against really tough guys. He's fallen on a lot of grenades for the UFC. They've got him murdered by Vicente Luque on more than one occasion, right? The death dealer of 170, as I used to call him. But this is now a fight where I think they're saying, yo, sorry about all those hard assignments, bro. Here's somebody in their retirement fight who we love and who we respect, but you're going to be here again next next pay-per-view or whatever it is that we call you again, whereas Robbie is riding off into the sunset. He's at the Hall of Fame right now. So my guy is closing the chapter on his fighting career. He don't want to be here anymore, whereas Nico Price doesn't have other employable skills, frankly. Like, we love the guy. Awesome guy. He's going to be a fighter. So Nico Price coming back out here to fight, and I think whether he's winning or losing, he's going to randomly nuke Robbie Lawler at some point and probably either jump on his throat uh, and submit him, or he's going to just finish him with strikes. But I think that this is going to be an eventual Nico Price finish. Hate yeah. to say it, Robbie Lawler, one of my favorite fighters ever. And you, speaking of UFC 189, he's getting inducted for that fight right now. I got the shirt in my closet that says Ruthless right across the middle. Guy's a gangster. Uh, part of MMA history right there. But uh, just just uh, everybody's got a time. you know. And I think his yep. time was over before. Uh, when you're losing to Neil Magny and your name is Robbie Lawler, the time has already come and gone, my friend. So I think that this is uh, this is past due and glad he's going to get a legend send off in front of a big crowd. But uh, I think he's going to go out face down and embarrassed like almost everybody else. Yeah, it sucks that he's on the prelims. sucks that he's got to go out like everybody else. I will say i got to give credit where credit's due. Uh, I always crap on UFC production. And not because of the people, the hard workers. I always praise the hard workers. It's more the effect of the schedule and what this all has from, again entry labor markets to the what the the fighters are making to like the the way that the the employees are getting worked to to bring us this entertainment that we love and what it does to that level of entertainment it's hard to do promos like i shared that faber pulver promo from back in the day someone's like why don't they make stuff like this before it's like well they're not incentivized they don't have the time and i really don't blame them but despite all that and me always beating that narrative despite being constantly proven right you got to give credit where credit's due and props to the ufc for putting together that uh, Robbie Lawler montage piece. I know it's not the biggest thing to do, but it's it, it, in, the, in this era of UFC for what they do for the fighters, that's actually kind of a lot, sadly. So props to them for doing that. I hope that 
this Robbie Lawler stuff doesn't kind of get overlooked. I know it's getting kind of played now. As we're getting deeper into fight week, I'm going to wait until after this fight week to do a uh, evergreen Robbie Lawler piece for Junkie. I've been pumping out more evergreen pieces. Again, he was in the top five southpaws, right? Or top ten southpaws. He was he was in there. We just had that episode. Um, so, yeah, obviously respect to Robbie Lawler. My heart's with him. I hope I'm wrong. But, yes, this is a gambling show. Pick a Nico Price, and don't be surprised to see, like, Price round two, a little sprinkle on there or something, or in a round robin maybe. We'll see if I have the heart to do it. Let's get to the rest of this fast. Jack Della Medellina, uh, minus 1,000 against again. Supposed to be Sean Brady, which would have been a great matchup and test. Instead, we get a, a lowest bidder, probably from one of the uh, usuals, uh, House or somebody, uh, Josiah Harrell, plus 625. I don't know anything about this guy, Liam. Obviously, I'm going to be picking Jackie Della Maddalena. Um, I don't even I, I don't even know if I'm going to research this one enough to try to find out. Is Jack going to finish in round one or round two? Which is the question that I always ask myself as a gambler in his fights as of late. Anything on this fight, Liam? Yeah, I'll be brief on this, but uh, Josiah Harrow, I think, is a pretty tough guy, all things considered. You know, he's fought at 155, 165, and 170, uh, so he's moved around a little bit. I think he'll do his best work in the UFC at 155 for obvious reasons, right? If you can make it, I don't think Jack Dell is making 155, you know what I'm saying? So no, no. I think that... For Harold, you know, what he brings to the table, he's a former Ohio wrestler uh, in high school. I can tell you from personal experience, the boys in Ohio know how to wrestle as good as anywhere in this country. I've wrestled guys from PA. I've wrestled guys from Ohio, from Florida, from California, all over the damn place. And uh, they're about as good as it gets, okay? Ohio makes a lot of tough guys as well. So I think the thing that stood out about Harold is he's not the most put together, you know, uh, rounded out skill set you've ever seen. But the intangibles are there. Because he'll be losing a fight in one round and come out in the next round and finish the guy in 30 seconds by getting to one really dominant position. He's got insane, insanely heavy hips. So when he gets on top of people, he goes hip down from the back mount. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's like yeah. the first position in fighting. Oh, yeah. Dude, he does oh. that to everybody, though. And he's brutal with it. So, like, as soon as he gets there, the fight's over. That's the one thing for me that makes him an interesting enough dog where, like, I feel like Jack Della, if he's going to lose a fight, it's going to be on the ground. It's not going to be on the feet. And I think that for Harold, right, from self-preservation, I think after he eats one punch from Jack, he's going to be like, I need to wrestle my ass off right now to survive. And so I think we're going to get takedown attempts. Frankly, I think I would be a little bit surprised if Jack Della stuffs all of his attempts because I do think this guy is weirdly strong. Uh, what do they call him? Uh, muscle hamster, I think. Like He's yeah. just a weirdly built dude, yeah. and he's going to go for takedowns. He's going to try and get reactive elbow pulls and stuff. He's going to do some tricky stuff, but I think he's going to take too much damage here and probably get finished early on in round two. That would be my guess here, but I do think... People might be surprised when they're holding a minus 900 Jack Della in a parlay and this dude takes him down twice. I just think the short notice, things like that are going to be too much. But guys like Matt Brown, the Columbus fight scene, it's like, no, watch out for Josiah Harrell. He's for real. Um, so I think he's getting the right kind of seal of approval. But we've also seen guys like Dobson and a couple other guys from the Columbus scene come in with six fights or seven fights and they're too raw for primetime. And I think that this is a little bit too much too soon. But I think at 155, another guy brought on in on short notice, huge underdog here. I think he will win fights in the UFC at 155. So those are the kind of guys where I'm not ready to go lay these huge prices against them because they're a massive unknown. And unknown shouldn't make the line wider. They should push it closer to 50-50. So just some theoretical things that uh, will make sure I'm not parlaying these big minus 1,000s and whatever because this is the most stupid sport in the world, as you know. We yeah. love it. It's awesome. But it's volatile as all hell. So when you're saying somebody's 95% to win a cage fight, just ask yourself, what banana peel do you want to step on? 
Exactly, exactly. I mean, you should be questioning minus 350s or minus 400s in the sport, to be honest, uh, much less minus 1,000s. And I love Jack Della Maddalena. Uh, obviously, we're no fools when it comes to wrestling or where Bo Nickel comes from or his ceiling. That being said, even even with those, especially when it's, and not picking on the ladies, but especially with WMMA folks, but even with these top-shelf prospects, you don't owe anybody an explanation if you want to go out there and sprinkle a little bit on a plus 1,100, folks. You don't owe anybody an explanation in this game. You you could do that long-term as long as you're keeping small, safe, and consistent. You might even be up. You know, you, you pick those spots, you, you know, well enough. And again, you don't have to explain to anybody. And I will say, Brownie over here, the dog, come here, Browns, she only showed up for, uh, you know, I don't know if this is accurate, and the, the dog showing up in podcasts when they bark on Breakdown Podcast, folks. Ooh, maybe the dog's lives are talking about. Brownie showed up in the main event, the co-main event, and this fight. That's when the dog showed up in the podcast. So keep an eye on those dogs, folks. That'll be crappy for, for uh, Jackie Della Maddalena. But, yeah, man, I'm, 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 you got me interested, Liam. That's a that's a good breakdown there. Uh, Rio Sosan Truesdale in the chat says, uh, Jack Slack has a beautiful Robbie Lawler tribute. He does. I shared it. Shout out to my guy Kyle, uh, uh, Kyle Mack as well. Combat Chronicles podcast. Of course, you could follow them. He released an excellent Anderson Silva piece. As today is the ten year anniversary of him and Weidman when he lost to Weidman, which is crazy. Fantastic piece from him. So I want to give him New York boy's been up for ten whole years. Can you believe that, Dan Tom? New York boy's been up ten years. Hey, New York in the house. I got you know my you know I got love for. Uh, you New York, uh, New York folk over there. I used to be a brief resident myself. Uh, Denise Gomez plus two ninety. Yasmin Hadegi minus three seventy five. Uh, the only I'm p- picking Hadegi. Obviously, uh, I think she's got a decent ceiling for the division, even though she's young and still has uh, uh, ways to go. You could obviously see the skills there. Um, I, and the only reason why I would look into this fight, which I admittedly haven't is because this would be the only thing, like, if I were to parlay, I would see if I could maybe get to a plus number if I do Hadegi, and then I do the Australians. I get some uh, Volk and uh, Robert Whitaker. I don't know what those three give me, uh, but I probably won't be doing that even if that did uh, end up in plus money. Uh, I'll pick Hadegi here, but I don't have anything else to say about this fight. You, Liam. So this is an interesting one for me because uh, Denise Gomes came out in her last fight, looked aces, right, after showing up, and getting kind of audited by Loma Luke Boonmi. Right. Loma Luke Boonmi training out of Bangtown Muay Thai, good gym. So uh, no real skin off her nose there, but did give up a bunch of takedowns, looked a little bit off balance, a little complacent playing from her back. She's Carol Hosa's girlfriend. They're both out there getting into some grappling competitions in Brazil, uh, Parane Valley Tudo product. So she's very skilled. She trains with world-class women, but she's 23 years of age. She's not above making mistakes. I do think that problems in that fight with uh, – with Loma was that she was starting to slow down a bit. She's a girl that throws a lot, bad intentions, swinging heavy. And I think that ultimately in this fight, you know, she might have some success early, but I feel like Waregi is probably going to come on strong as the fight goes on. She's a girl that's built into her wins in the past. Yasmin Lucindo, another high-level prospect in my view, another Brazilian on the rise that has shown much more class in subsequent fights. But again, they're giving her these girls while they're still young, right? Younger than her. She's 24 years of age. She's a 23-year-old. She fought another young girl in Lucindo. Estela Nunes, that was a very favorable matchup. I cashed the plus 200 ITD. I cashed the minus 300 against Yasmin Lucindo. So now I'm looking at this number and I'm saying probably an unplayable number, but I have Waregi and I think that 
I might make the same donation I've made twice before. I haven't said this on any other shows, I don't believe, so I'm gonna give this to you. But I have donated 0.25 units on her submission prop twice in a row, and she is fighting a brown belt here. She is a purple belt. She does throw a lot with the hands. So I wouldn't be stunned if it was a knockout, but it's again 13 to one here. And I think the cardio dynamics suggest that she could potentially outlast her opponent, hurt her, and submit her. Because I don't think Dee Gomes is like a lot of other women that shell up when she's getting hit. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I just mean, it's, it's logical self-preservation. I'm getting hit, cover up. She's a fighter through and through. I think she would rather try and scramble to a new position, try and build up our base. That leaves you open to getting submitted. And I feel like in this fight, it could happen to her down the stretch despite the credentialing difference. So for me, I think Wadegi by sub at 15 to one or whatever it is, is a little bit too wide. Wow, I don't hate that at all, by the way. Yeah, especially in WMMA where the subs are prevalent. MMA in general, we've seen that ranks don't matter in men or women's divisions. But yes, not to pick on the ladies, we, de we do see more upset submissions as well as upset submissions, not just by the odds, but by the rankings and on-paper skill as well. So the d to your point, Lee, Check the ends by sub you. as well. Ends yeah. by sub, I feel like, could be a similar price because we've got such a big dog. And Denise Gomes is a BJJ brown belt taking on a Mexican girl who's very tough. And again, what is her path to victory? Probably getting on top of her, looking for her own dominant positions at some point. So just a couple things to think about. I think that's a great shot. Speaking of fights to end by sub, we're going to get to my man Mark Fellows here. Let's go, Jimmy fucking Crute. This boy getting dropped three times by Alonzo last time. All right, let's go. Let's go, Mark. Australia. Jimmy fucking Crute. I took Jimmy Crute last time. Um, I was like appalled. I was like, I am losing. This was bad. Wow. Uh, he's showing up bad, and a guy training with Pat Barry showing up much better than I thought, leaving Fortis and then going to train with a random dude who I don't know if he's training really anybody else minus his girlfriend right now. I don't know what the situation is. I'm not trying to judge. I was just like, it was a weird circumstance. Um, but Menafield both showed up and then showed up enough to throw it away as well with some cage grabbing, uh, getting tired, um, you know, all the stuff that he's been susceptible to, and uh, allowed Jimmy Crew kind of back into the fight. Um, enough to get a draw. They're rematching here. Um, honestly, I'm probably going to stay away, but I'm going to pick Crude again here. I am going to pick Crude again here, but like this fight just seems so stupid. Nothing would surprise me. Liam, you got anything on this one? Yeah, I'll be very brief here. Uh, I would lean towards the Jimmy Crude side. Seems like a slight market overcorrection. To your point, uh, Jim Crute was coming back off of a brutal knockout against Jamal Hill, goes in there, gets hit with a bunch of big shots, finds a way to stay in the fight, finds a way to hang on when everything looked very dire, makes it go to a decision. Alonzo Menafield gassed out, has to use the cage to hold himself up in round three, um, and so he ends up paying for that. You know, rarely uh, do the referees actually intervene and stop somebody from fouling. We just talked about Nico Price. Our guy just takes a shin to the face and has to lay there and deal with it, but in this case, the judge referee sees something, actually calls a foul, actually takes a point away, so we get the draw there. And I think in this case, you know, what is Jimmy Crute going to take away from that last fight? I, I think any logical person would say, I do not want to get hit by this man ever again if I can avoid it. And I think he's yeah. going to wrestle, wrestle, wrestle. He's going to show up with shoes and headgear. I think eventually he's going to get Alonzo down. And I do think Alonzo is a dangerous guy when he's fresh, but if you make him wrestle while he's fresh, he becomes a very average guy, kind of like these other guys who are super athletic. He's also 35. How long can he keep doing this? He's training with Pat Barry, to your point. How much better is he going to get doing that? All of these things say to me, I think this is probably a slight overcorrection on the Jim Crute side. I also think there's a slight overcorrection on the fight not going to decision, which last time, um, you know, it goes to decision. I feel like it's probably not going to decision here. I think that Jim Crute is going to try and take this guy down. 
put him into cardiac arrest and then submit it. That is my opinion of how he's going to approach this, and I think he's got a good path to doing it. Yep, yep. If, if anything, I may depending on what I get limited to or what I like, uh, maybe I throw a croup by submission and a round robin. That way I get a nice plus number without like crazy exposure, you know? So that is uh, something I will probably look at there. Let's do an extra speed breakdown for these final five. Uh, last wide line, Tatsuro Tyra, minus 1,100. Edgar Chavez plus 675. I don't believe this was the original opponent, of course. It was to be Clayton Rodriguez the other week, but Clayton missed weight, so they put this fight together. Um, is it another Tyra by sub? What do you got here, Liam? My favorite flyweight prospect in the UFC, Tatsuro Tyra. Uh, go back and watch his old introductions in Shuto. Sick introductions. They always yell his name, and it makes it feel even yep. more badass and special. Yeah. So I feel like this guy has been on my radar for a long time. Um, I've only max bet one fighter in the UFC 10 units multiple times. It's Tatsuro Tyra. And again, now you're seeing why, though, because I bet him at minus 225. I bet him at minus 230, minus 235, these kind of numbers. And now you're seeing he's minus 1,000 in his last fight. He's minus 900 here. People are now putting a lot of respect on his name as a very high-level prospect. So they're forcing me off the train, right? I can't I can't follow y'all to the minus 1,000 number, but I do think he's going to win this fight. I think he's much, much better equipped than Chires. And I think that the only thing people sleep on about him is his ability to win fights by knockout. I don't think he's going to knock out Chires. Chires is a very tough guy, but I do think his ground and pound is underrated. And I think people, because they've only seen his UFC run, where he's thoroughly outgrappled everybody, don't realize that on the regional scene, he was dropping people with a left hand and then choking them unconscious. So I feel like he is still capable of doing that. He's got massive hands for a flyweight, and he throws with good power and intention with his knees, with his kicks, and with his punches. I feel like, um, you know, Chires, a guy who's taking this on short notice, pursues the fight with reckless abandon most of the time. That's the kind of guy that can walk onto something huge and get floored here. My problem is just that I think he will get submitted in all yeah. likelihood because Tyra preferences the sub over everything, and when he hurts you, he normally just takes the sub that's easy. So I expect he'll do that again. Yeah, maybe I should just go for one of those like big six round robins. It's just it's such a pain to uh, to punch in, uh, tracking like just a four because it's like six uh, to seven entries because I do a long shot parlay with it as well. I don't know, it's like nine or ten entries on top of everything. Like I don't know if I want to do that, but yeah, I don't know. Let's, let's see what Tyra by subs going off at. Um, we got next fight here: Victor Petrino minus two fifty, Marcin Pracnial plus one ninety. Seems wide. I'll go with the favorite. Uh, I was drinking heavily when I was live at Petrino's last fight. But uh, I remember, uh, despite having the athleticism and chops and physical chops for this division, you know, he's, he's still a bit wild, makes some questionable decisions, which questions me for big favorites like we talked about before. I will pick him. I don't, I'm not trying to play this fight. I don't have anything uh, interesting to say about this fight. What about you, Liam? Yeah, I'll be very brief here. I don't believe in Marcin Pracnia. I think he's a very average fighter. Uh, I thought William Knight just didn't show up in his last fight with all due respect. He said as much, basically, in interviews, had stuff going on outside the octagon. So if you have a guy who's not fighting you back and you don't finish for 15 minutes, that's actually a bit of an indictment of you at the UFC level, in my humble opinion. And uh, he just doesn't have any super dynamic offense that you're writing home about. Felipe Lins able to just pace him in the grappling with a pretty simple game plan, in fairness, right? Like, again, I just never have been blown away by Martin Prack now. I feel like he's very average. And so when I look at this fight, who what is the UFC doing here? Do they like guys like Marcin Pracnow who are average guys that kind of have a you know ho-hum game? Or do they like guys like Vitor Petrino who look like action figures? I can tell you who Dana White likes, uh, right? So it's not to say that that's a perfect indicator, but they're putting Petrino, in my view, in a position to succeed. I bet Turkali by sub last time out at plus 750. Turkali never came close to getting those positions because of the physical difference. Even when he got to good spots, 
Petrino is just grabbing him and ripping him off. Like, he just had too much to offer. I think he's going to have way too much to offer for Marcin Pracnow. On the feet, he is outmatched here, but I don't think it matters because I think he'll land one that will change the fight if Pracnow is uh, winning minutes. But I think, moreover, Petrino showed in his last fight, he can get takedowns. If he takes down Marcin Pracnow, I think he can punch a hole through his head mm -hmm. or submit him, frankly. So I, I like Petrino here. I think he's going to roll. All right. Cameron Simon, minus 550. Terrence Mitchell, plus 400. I don't have anything on this one. I'll probably pick uh, Cameron because he's part of the African coalition there. Anything on this one, Liam? Uh, I also like Simon here. I don't believe in Terrence Mitchell, a uh, guy who's been fighting mostly on the Alaskan regional scene. I was saying earlier, you know, uh, half-jokingly, that it should be like USA Wrestling, as in the contiguous 48 and Hawaii, right? Like, just these yeah. guys from Alaska come in, and they seem to not know how to wrestle any one of them. So, for me, the only guy who could wrestle from Alaska is Jerry Cannonier. But you look, the whole laundry list of training partners for this guy is the Alaska FC washouts, yes, the Carlton yeah. Minuses of the world, the Patrick Whites who lost on Contender Series as a big dog last year. I don't think that they're very good. I don't think Terrence Mitchell is very good. And I think... Cameron Simon is another one of these guys that the UFC likes to get behind, Team CIT. So I think he's probably going to take this guy down or punch a hole through his head. And I figured dudes would be wrestling with dudes in Alaska just to stay warm because of the numbers, but I guess not if you know what I'm saying. But uh, <laughs> we're going to have to go down that road. <laughs> All right, no, that's a good – yeah, that's right. I actually do remember Mitchell from that, that, that tough stint when he actually saw non-Alaska competition. It did not look good, to your point. Um Jesus Santos Aguilar minus 140, Shannon Ross plus 115. I don't have anything on this. Probably end up with a favorite because Shannon Ross, what I do remember him, is not durable and has already kind of uh, had health issues and one foot out the door, I believe, already. So I'll probably end up going Aguilar. But do you have anything on this, Liam? Nothing too bullish, but I'm with you, man. I think Aguilar's the side here. Uh, Shannon Ross, I mean, he was available as high as plus 285 at one point. Um, you know, so... I obviously understand people coming in at those numbers. Mm -hmm. Jesus Aguilar yeah. has like the shortest reach in the division. Uh, and he's also, you know, just not a guy with a lot of knockout wins. We see Shannon, in fact, none. But Shannon Ross is a guy who's very susceptible to being knocked out. He's been submitted before. Uh, Jesus Aguilar probably has a ground advantage here. He's at a bit of a size disadvantage, but I don't believe in Shannon Ross. I think he's too susceptible to being hurt uh, to be a professional fighter at this stage of his life and his career. And I think Jesus Aguilar, while not the most dangerous guy, he's very insistent on his offense and he stays dangerous throughout a fight Edgar Chires who's fighting Tatsuro Tyra got submitted by Jesus Aguilar in the fifth round of a fight that they had because Aguilar stays aggressive and I think that he will do that here as well and I think eventually he will find Shannon Ross a opportunity to check out and he'll take it. Sounds, sounds like that checks out uh, more familiar with the last fight Esteban Rebovich minus 155 Comuela Kirk plus 125 I never had that big of a high hopes for Kirk but that, I, I only say that not to be a, a dick, but just to say that uh, even then, he still came way lower than what I expected, and I never expected much from him. Whereas Rebovich is a guy who you want to be careful about saying someone looks good in a loss, but like he's got you know the body work, the little, the little slickster movement. Like He does a lot of the, the swag that I really like and have kind of an eye for. Um, so that's probably swaying me here. So I'll probably pick Rebovich, but I, I don't know if I want to invest in this fight. Anything on this last one, Liam? Yeah, man, I think, again, we're going to agree here because my initial read before I watched any tape on this fight was Camuela Kirk had to be the side because he was big plus money. He has more experience overall and in the UFC. He's a little bit bigger. He's got yes. the reach advantage. All these things that you kind of want to see. And also, I was like, Ribovich, you know, when you get taken down 11 times, it does suggest that just like 
your ability to adapt in the fight is maybe not what it needs to be. And he's young, right? It's his first UFC fight, so you expect some of those things. Whereas I feel like now he's going to come in with a little more confidence, more beatable opponent, right? Loic went out there and got smashed in his last fight, but Mateus Rusbecki was like very highly touted as a prospect. And then he went out there and had one stinker in his UFC debut, and everybody thinks, oh, he's a bum, he's a, he's a fraud. I thought to myself, I was like, wow, Mateus Rusbecki, you know, the love has gone all in the opposite direction. And now we see, you know, Loic, that, that win, now people are devaluing it, but it's like he took that fight on short notice change an opponent. Ribovic still showed he wanted to be there the whole 15 minutes. He tried his best. He got his best success in round three. Kemwala Kirk is moving up in weight. That could probably be beneficial to his cardio here, but he's still 29 years of age, later on in his career, hasn't been at the weight for a while, and he's taking on a guy who's probably a little more frenetic in his pace and his movement. So unless he submits him early or gets to really dominant meta positions that we always talk about, like the body triangle, I think Kemwala Kirk is not going to be able to keep the same pace that Ribovic is able to keep so i think ribovix will probably take over and win the fight uh later on via tko or decision but i do think that kemwala kirk in the early going has a chance to win round one here and kind of you know maybe live market entries on ribovix could be good uh the only danger is you know they might just swing it out in the first round and and make it a a little bit more of a slugfest but i feel like kirk's going to come in here with a takedown game plan personally based on what we saw last time out right loic kind of laid out a blueprint for how you could beat this guy which is stay on his hips the whole fight so i feel like that's what we'll see and as an attempt but i'm not sold on kirk like you are not and i think ribovic's going to get the win here yeah, I forgot about him going up in weight, too. I was aware of the size, but I was uh, I forgot about him going up in the weight, which took my one angle away, which I'm a big round three guy, despite saying a lot of round two leans this card. You know me, I love my round threes. Shout out to D-Love, master of love out there. But uh, I love my round three plays. But the thing is, uh, Rebovich seems like good for it. But yeah, if uh, Kirk is moving up, does that mean his gas tank gets better? Because that was one of the things I've always remembered from his game, too. Um, definitely does not finish as strong as he starts. But yeah. Good stuff there. Awesome. All right, folks, get your last-minute questions or whatever in the chat, uh, to-dos, likes, appreciated, uh, shares, all that stuff is fun. Uh, give my man Liam a follow. I'm going to give him a chance to say his piece and where you can plug, follow, support, and the like for him. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to do a quick uh, recap of picks and plays. Liam, you, you, you'll be able to do yours if you'd like to. Uh, I don't have very many um, plays to recap, but I'm just going to recap a uh, down the line here. Um, <clears throat> this is what I'm taking, not not for uh, not for Liam. We are on different sides on some of these fights. Um, I'll be taking Volkanovski over Rodriguez, taking Pantoja over Moreno, taking Whitaker over Duplessis. I'll be taking Jalen Turner over Dan Hooker, more than likely. Um, safely to say, I'll be taking Bo Nickel over Woodburn. Uh, my heart's with Lawler, but you know I'll be taking Price over Lawler. Uh, Jack Delamena, Madalena, I'll be taking him over Harold, despite the crazy odds again. Uh, Hauregi over Gomes, feel a little better about that one. Um, feel a little better as far as knowing of these guys. I don't know how good I feel about taking Crude over Menafield. Hold on that as I, I'll tease a potential play there. Taking Tyra over Chavez, taking Petrino over Procneal, taking Simon over Mitchell. Confident enough in those. Taking Aguilar over Ross. Confident enough in that. Rebovich over Kirk. That's who I'm taking as far as my plays. The only thing I'm officially on right now is Pantoja plus 185 for two units. And then again, just under one unit exposure for Volkanovski playing .33 units uh, times three. One for round three at plus 800. Neighborhood, I believe, uh, around plus 11 or 10, 1,000 
for round four and for round five in the neighborhood of 12 or 14. I have crappy numbers, much better numbers you can get out there for that. Um, that's what I'm on for my round robin. I'll probably have Bentosia by decision in there. I don't know if I'll have any Volkanovski round props because there's some other round props that may jump out to me. So maybe I'll throw some Kroot sub and then maybe the last remaining two. I'll see if like a, a Price round two, a Turner round two or something, or a Whitaker round two. I probably want to get some Whitaker involvement in there because I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I, I'm going to talk myself out of doing something stupid and playing the units again because I, I would probably be asking to lose if I lay eight units on Whitaker. Maybe I just parlay Whitaker, Volk, and Hadegi, and if I can get plus money out on there, I just do that, and then I keep it the plays small. Uh, Liam, feel free to recap any picks you want. Feel free to recap any plays you want, but please plug your stuff, plug your handle that's shown below you. Plug whatever the hell you want, buddy. Well, I appreciate it, man. It's been an absolute blast. As you know, I could talk fights with you for hours, so it's been a pleasure. Uh, as far as my my picks go, that's what I can recap here. Uh, you know, kind of like my my betting side. If I had to make a bet on the fight, who would I take? That's how I'm gonna approach this. Uh, because I haven't placed any bets on this card, I tend to bet a little bit later on in the week. As a primary underdog better, a lot of times underdog prices improve over the course of the week. So sometimes I get in early if I feel like the line's going to move, but other times I kind of wait it out and play and see. But here is how I would approach it. If I had to take a bet on every fight, money line purely, this is what I would do. I would take Yair Rodriguez if I was forced to make a money line bet. I would take... Um, if forced to make a money line bet, I would probably lean Pantosia plus 185. Um, but truthfully, that fight is perplexing to me. Yeah. Uh, Duplessis, I would have to go dog or pass. So for the top three, I'm I'm thinking Moreno is probably the one I think um, I would like understand why people got there. But I also think that uh, I I couldn't touch that fight from a favorite standpoint. Uh, Jalen Turner, I believe, will win the fight, uh, and I don't think he's a good betting side, but I think he's going to win the fight. Uh, Bo Nickel is completely unplayable in my view, but I think he's going to win the fight as well. Um, Robbie Lawler is not a playable uh, fighter in my view. He's retiring. I think Nico Price is sneaky chalk. Uh, I think that Josiah Harrell is more live um, than the number would indicate, and I think he's still going to lose probably by knockout in the first or second round. Uh, but I do think he's going to get takedowns, uh, or at least one one takedown. I think he gets one takedown. That's my bold claim for Josiah Harrell. Shout out Ohio Wrestling. Uh, Yasmin Waregi, I believe, will get the win, but I don't think Denise Gomes is a pushover. I think Kroot's going to get the win. I think he will get the finish. Um Interesting fight, though. I think Tyra gets another win in the column. I think it's probably in round two. Uh, shout out to my guy Dan Tom with the round two shots. I think it's going to be a round two finish for Tyra here. I think Tyra is a tough guy. I just think he's outpositioned. Uh, Petrino, I think, is going to get the win here and maybe surprise people. Uh, I haven't given many big plus numbers, but one plus number I'm looking at as it opens on domestics is Petrino by sub. I don't think people are going to give it any credit here. I think Turkali's a better grappler than Pracnio, and I think that that's a, a way that this could end that uh, betters get burnt because I think a lot of people are going to see Petrino by KO at minus 160 and be drawn in, and I don't think that that's the sharp look. Uh, I think take the ITD, take the money line, or uh, go ahead and... Uh, try and get contrarian because I think there's a little bit of value there. Pracnia, not a very good grappler, could get buzzed on the feet and submitted as well. And we saw Petrino very committed to grappling last time against a better grappler in my view. Turkali's gone uh, you know, to the distance, I believe, with yeah. Alexander Gustafsson, pure grappling match. Uh, now back to the recap. Simon, I think, is going to win. Uh, I believe Aguilar and Ribovich as well. So I think it's going to be chalk, chalk, 
to get us started. And I think we're going to end with some live dogs. So absolutely brilliant recap. And uh, my man, it's been a blast. So you can find me everywhere, guys, talking about these fights at Liam Picks Fights. Uh, that's on YouTube. That's on Instagram. That's on Spotify and podcasts and whatever the hell else you guys listen on. And I appreciate the support. It's always a pleasure talking about these fights with uh, other fight fans. And right back to work for me always. So hopefully we get the win this weekend. Right in a two-event win streak. And uh, we had uh, our guy Dan Argetta on a push the week before. So 2-0-1 in the last three events. And looking to make it 3-0-1 here this weekend. Tough card, tricky card, a lot of big favorites. But picking our spots, looking for some big dogs to come through. And hopefully somebody makes it a happy evening for us. I feel you there, man. That, man, that Dan Argetta one, that was so beautiful laid out. I absolutely felt for you on that one, brother. Uh, but that's good stuff. Uh, before we get out of here, chat's got a question for you. My man, Jimmy Kudo, uh, says, Liam, you mentioned uh, Bang Tao. Uh, what's your opinion of that gym? Whaley, Loma, and Volk uh, is the owner of that gym. Uh, yeah, Jimmy wants to know what your opinion of Bang Tao is. Very solid gym. Hickman Brothers are very good. I think that Volk, you know, if he's going to put his name on it, it's going to be championship level. It's going to be high-level stuff. I think they get great training there. But I also believe, you know, um, when you look at Volkanovski, running a gym is an obligation. So that's the one person that I feel like doesn't benefit as much from it. Uh, if you're running a gym, it takes work, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes energy, and it takes investment. So that's the one downside I think for Volk. It's like he, he probably has some behind the scenes work that we don't see that he is responsible for. But I think that the other ladies, I mean, look at Loma Lukbunmi in her last fight, going out there getting takedowns against Denise Gomes, right? Loma Lukbunmi looked great there. Her takedowns have never looked better. Her wrestling's never looked better. It doesn't happen by accident. She's training with Americans in Thailand that are very good wrestlers. So for me, the Hickman brothers uh, don't get the plaudits they deserve. I mention Bang Tao almost every time that I talk about uh, Volkanovski as well because he brings in world-class fighters. Ray brings in good training partners. So it's good stuff. Absolutely. I agree. Good answer there. All right. Thank you guys for joining. Again, hit the like if you haven't already, especially if you're in the future, future, future. Listening on an audio platforms, five-star ratings and reviews. Uh, I get to finally stop uh, breaking my promise that I'm going to bring bring this to Stitcher finally because Stitcher is no more. I have procrastinated for half a decade, and it's paid off, Liam. Now I just can just procrastinate until these things go under. Uh, <laughs> Twitter might be. Who knows? But you can find me there while it still exists, at DanTomMMA. You can find Liam there as well. He's a great follow, at LiamPicksFights. Um, yeah, follow us, uh, support us if you want. Do whatever the hell you want. Enjoy the fights this weekend. Good luck on your picks and plays. And always protect and